0: Welcome to Savvy Saps Podcast. This is episode 133, Cornell West Campaign, GOP speaker, Vivek, and more. So let's chat, guys. I'm sure you have plenty to say. Um, it's been a very eventful week, I would say. So um, <laughs> let's go ahead. I'll go ahead and make sure um, I make Eric uh, a speaker here. And um, of course, Noel. And... Roger. All right, let's Meek, go ahead and that get makes started. makes your head spin. And, uh, Karthik, you are on the mic. Let's go ahead and bring you in, and I'm just going to make sure I adjust my volume so that way I can hear you on the media. What's going on, Karthik?
1: Hey, ben, what's up? Uh, I heard that Cornell West uh, has had another big uh, campaign change. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's interesting because I had already planned to discuss uh, his announcement to support the students' uh, walkout in California at UCLA. So I was already covering, uh, going to cover a corner West tonight, and then that story broke earlier today. And I was like, "Okay, oh boy," you know. Um, how are you feeling about it, uh, Karthik?
1: Um, I don't know. I guess it's surprising just because, um, I know, I know, like CJ said, something like this too, but Cornell West is definitely like, Stan provides as a jazz man. Yeah. Um, a lot of change.
0: I get that, but I, I think that when you have a presidential campaign, I think too many changes in a short period of time can give people pause.
1: You know, I agree. I mean, I guess it's good that Peter Dow is off, you know, because he seems somewhat reformed compared to like six, seven years ago. But I don't know, it's just tough to trust him, you know. So I guess it's better that he's gone than, you know, if he was present. Um, but yeah, I'm curious to who to see who his new campaign manager will be.
0: I think a lot of us are. I mean, I honestly have no idea. And, you know, it's not easy to find a campaign manager, particularly someone to do an independent campaign. Yeah. Part yeah. You know, so I, I don't know. Maybe he might. Ask-
1: yeah, well, I, I thought Ralph Nader's supporting Biden, you know, he's uh finally fallen to the dark side.
0: Well, I heard that. Yeah, I read that article where he said that. But in another talk, he was asked about that. He said that that was not what he said and that they they misquoted his words. I don't know i don't know man like i really have like suspicions like i'm really wondering like and it could be like health issues but like i said it could also be that maybe peter was just legitimately in this to like try to stop dr west from
1: Yeah, yeah, it's just tough to do because we don't know all the background conversations. And um, I I know on your stream you listed uh, uh, Kucinich, but I thought there would be some sort of of, like non-compete clause in these campaigns.
0: Um, What do you mean by non-compete clause?
1: Because I I thought it would be something like, hey, you know, if you work for me, then you can't work for somebody else.
0: apparently Um, apparently not if uh peter was able to bounce from marianne's campaign to cornell west campaign probably not
1: yeah i'm in rfk because rfk seems very establishment even though he acts like he isn't
0: um i don't know i i don't think i don't i've never heard of that i mean it could be but i've i've personally never heard of um a campaign manager being told that they can't work in someone else's campaign but i I mean i could be wrong um it it could be but if i was looking at people to choose from and someone who has some experience then i would point him in the direction of a dennis kucinich because cornell west's campaign is more aligned with where dennis kucinich what he believes in dennis kucinich a lot of people may not remember this but dennis kucinich Before there was the squad, he was pretty much the first progressive that I heard about. He shares the same position in reference to the Palestinian people as Cornel West does, not RFK Jr.'s position on um, Israel and Palestine. And he also agrees with the progressive policies that Dr. West supports, like Medicare for all and canceling student loan debt and things like that. So I honestly feel like Dennis Kucinich would be more in line with Cornel West's campaign.
1: Yeah, he seemed to be the best person in Congress for a while. Like, I think he even applied that Obama should be impeached for like the two years he was there. Um, the yep. last thing I want to say before I go is um, what has Vivek uh, Farmerswamy said? Because I haven't been following him for the last few weeks.
0: Well, he had an interview um, with Bree on Rising and, you know, she really exposed his foreign policy stance you know, one minute he says we don't need to be involved in these international conflicts. But then he when you mentioned Israel, he was like, well, I believe in an Israel first policy and the U.S., you know, is funding Israel. But the U.S. shouldn't be involved in Middle East, but uh, we should help Israel. It was all over the place, Carthage. Uh, but finally, she, she kept pushing him. And in that push, she got him to admit that he would already uphold any funding agreements with other countries that we already have. And that would last if he won. I mean, that would go into 2028. So the thing is, we already have financial agreements with Israel and what Vivek is basically telling you in that bowl of words salad that he gave everyone is that Vivek Ramaswamy will continue to fund Israel, which is all he had to say. That interview, honestly, they could have had the opportunity to ask more questions if Vivek would have just answered the question the first time.
1: Yeah, you know, all these theoretical anti-establishment guys, whether it's, you know, Matt Gates or Farmer uh, Swami, they're, they're all the hardcore uh, Zionists, it seems.
0: Exactly, but, but that's because, again, like I said, they don't want to be attacked by the Israeli lobby. They don't want to get attacked by APAC. so... They're all going to say Israel has a right to defend itself, whether they believe it or not. Um, and the candidates that are not saying that those are the ones who I feel are more bold, like they, they don't care about, especially if you're running a grassroots campaign. You know, you don't need the support. You're not looking for the support of APAC. You're looking well, yeah, for the support like- of the American people
1: yeah I remember in huh? 2016 uh APAC even though like Bernie had some mild criticisms towards Israel really but at least by today's standards and APAC was very critical towards him too. so it seems like they're all scared of APAC or something else
0: and Bernie Sanders is Jewish so yes. what what does that tell you? by the way, if we want to talk about anti-Semitism. I remember there was I think it was New York magazine there was an article about Bernie Sanders during his 2020 campaign. And they actually like drew a picture of Bernie Sanders and it was anti-Semitic. They drew a picture of his face and they made it so that he was hunched over and his nose was large, way larger than it actually is. And people called out that article. But the thing is, like all the people who are like Israel first, why didn't they call that out? That form of anti-Semitism that was used against Bernie Sanders in his 2020 campaign. That's because they didn't want Bernie Sanders in there anyway, because, again, they wanted the status quo people. So they were okay with anti-Semitism when Bernie Sanders was being smeared in that way.
1: You know, I I think the Clinton campaign was behind that smear, too.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. They were all okay with it back then. So my whole thing is, is like saying that the Palestinian people have a right to self-determination, that is not anti-Semitic. But what they're doing now, and this is what we really need to be careful about and we need to be cautious of, it's gotten to the point now where what Vivek said in that interview is that he's going to basically going to be against people even criticizing Israel having a right to defend itself. And that part right there was very telling and damning because to me, that says that Vivek supports censorship, even though he.
1: Oh yeah, the, the all the first free speech guys, whether it's like Jordan Peterson or other, you know, people like him, are all critical of uh, any criticisms towards Israel.
0: Yeah, no, you're you're right about that.
1: But yeah, and I'm obviously like a lot, a lot of these Zionists are just supporting Israel for uh, revelations, which, from what I understand, like most of the world dies.
0: But the other thing about that, can I I be honest, Karthik? The other thing about that is if you even believe in the Bible. For people who are agnostic or people who are atheists, that they don't believe in that, they don't believe in the Bible, you can't even use that as, as an excuse. And this is one of those things where when I was on the debate team in high school, we were not allowed to use religion to prove our point because religion is a belief. So you can't use something that's a belief to prove your point. You have to use something that's you can point to as a said fact. So now all of a sudden it seems like it's okay to use like religion as, as like a way to, to prove your point. So, so many things have changed. And honestly, I just, it's really sad. It's really sad.
1: No. Yeah. To me, when people talk about the Bible as you know justification for Israel or anything, It just sounds like you're talking about fairy tales. you know. It's like, oh, who would win? Batman versus Captain America or Superman versus Wonder Woman. That's how it really sounds like to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's... I don't know, man. I don't know. I just... For me, the way I kind of see it is just that I think some people have been exposed this week. I really do. And I I think we're starting to see how people really feel when you change the country.
1: Yeah, America's, you know, we're we're born in blood, and I'm guessing we'll die in blood, too. But uh, uh, good talk, Sabi. Thanks.
0: Thank you so much. All righty. Let's bring in Brent. What's up, Brent? Hi. You just got to unmute. Can you hear me?
2: Hello? Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, I can hear you. Sorry, it took a while to unmute. What's up?
2: Okay, so this vivid guy, um, I don't really care about what he said. Honestly, I don't really care what he says because he comes across as superficial and a social climber. Same with Pete Buttigieg. These type of guys, they they seem like they just want to say whatever whatever people want to hear. So even if he has good points, I that I hundred percent agree with, I still would not vote for him because he comes across as insincere and someone that wouldn't follow through someone that would just uh say whatever people want to hear just to get elected i mean is that really a fair way to judge someone or do you feel like what they say is or their like previous positions is that something that's more important than just a quote-unquote feeling
1: um
0: i honestly think that Vivek is um fake because yeah. another thing i know Like, you guys ever notice, like, when he says uh, country and God, he doesn't tell his supporters, because when you say that, that's that's a Republican talking point. Right. But he doesn't say, like, what God he's referring to. And the thing is, Vivek is not Christian. And there will be some and this is the thing I want to be very clear about. I don't care what religion you are. But I know for a fact that there are some uh, Republican voters that will not support him alone just based on that part right there that he's hindu and not christian what? you won't hear him say he says country and god but notice he don't say which one cuz think about this remember when obama was running in 08 and remember how some conservatives were like no he's uh he's not christian he's muslim like there's no way we should have a muslim president remember that like Obama's whatever religion they thought it was, was a big issue to some people who were conservative, even though Obama is Christian. But the thing is, the idea that he could possibly not be Christian and may practice another religion that turned some conservatives off. Not that they were going to vote for Obama as a Democrat anyway, but they started to like preach fear about it. Right. Like, oh, God, could you imagine having a president that's that's not Christian, that kind of thing? This was also an issue, by the way, when uh, JFK, when JFK ran for president, did you guys know it was an issue that JFK was Catholic? That was an issue in this country. So he was like the first Catholic president. So again, like I said, I feel like Vivek is kind of misleading when he says, and he's talking to his base and he's like country and God, because he's leaving, he's, when you say that especially in America especially in right wing spaces people automatically assume you were talking about Christianity you're talking about like Jesus Christ he never you know seems to explain to people that he is Hindu so if Vivek actually mentioned that and spoke about that more that's what I'm saying I know for a fact some Republicans are not going to support him based on that alone the fact that he's not Christian.
2: Wow, that's kind that's of disturbing. Because the, the president is not, is not about religion; it's about religion. Religion. So, yeah, it's, it's
0: you're right. But God is in our Constitution. See, th- this is another thing. Like we have separation of church and state in this country, but God is in our Constitution. And nobody said back then, like when they wrote it, no one was like, oh, which God? Oh, we're talking about the Christian faith. They didn't say that because it was it was just kind of a given back then during that time. We didn't have as many people living in this country that practiced different religions during that time. But now you do.
3: Right. right. Oh, that's <laughs> actually... <laughs> oh.
2: Uh, Can you hear me now?
0: Yep. Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead.
2: I'm going to mute while you talk. Uh, okay, so, um, yeah, I don't under- really understand how people would vote for that. To me, like Vivek is, is not presidential material at all. It just, But maybe we live in a big country as people are fooled by um, how well he presents himself because he seems very, even more fake than all the previous presidential candidates, like, just the way he presents himself. I don't, I, w- I don't trust him. He comes across like a used car salesman, like, like like Pete Buttigieg. They're, they're both, they're kind of the same, in my opinion. Well, they both came, they both came from Harvard. Oh, oh I see. Yeah. And, and then speaking of Harvard, um, this is kind of off topic, but my question is what is the best clam chowder in boston i'll be i'll be stopping in boston briefly so maybe hearing from you um where's the best place to get uh, clam chowder
0: honestly you don't want to go like a lot of times when tourists come here they go to boston proper all the tourist places the tourist restaurants or the restaurants that are on that tourist route um, uh, the establishment. She, <laughs> right. Like they don't have the best food. The best food honestly is going to be in the mom and pop like neighborhoods. So like, for example, and I'll be honest here when I, so before the pandemic, cause this place was still open. Then there was a restaurant called Doyle's. It was in uh, JP, Jamaica Plain neighborhood in Boston. Doyle's is very famous, very famous. Like this place has been in movies. So there were movies that were filmed there. In fact, that movie 21, there was a scene from 21 filmed there. John F. Kennedy has been to Doyle's. Like it was, it was one of those places that politicians would go to, but it's, it's in JP. They had the best clam chowder I've ever had in my life so some people are going to tell you go to union oyster house don't go to union oyster house it's overpriced it's touristy and their food honestly isn't good compared to the local mom and pop places that you'll go to in the in the neighborhoods uh honestly there's a place called alive and kicking and that's in cambridge it looks like a house but it's actually a restaurant What you'll find is that some of the best food is going to be in places like Cambridge, Somerville. And in Boston, you're going to want to go to the neighborhoods that are not on that tourist route. So you're going to get really good food in Dorchester. You're going to get great food in um, Jamaica Plain, the places that they're not going to take you to. You're going to get now. Some people say "Oh, those neighborhoods aren't safe. And I'm just like, "Uh, define safe. I lived in Baltimore, so to me, all these neighborhoods were safe here. But um, you're going to get the best food in places like Jamaica, Jamaica Plain, Dorchester, um, some spots in Austin, thats where Boston University is. These are just different neighborhoods. Some spots in Austin, but you want to avoid uh, the, the 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 Freedom Trail. So the Freedom Trail is something most tourists will do here there's like this red brick that you follow and there's all the his, a lot of historical stuff there you want to avoid restaurants on the freedom trail just keeping it real and you want to go into the neighborhoods that's what you're gonna to have to do and terry mm-hmm. terry's on this call terry can probably tell you in the chat too she can probably recommend some places as well but i'm, I'm just keeping it real that's what i've noticed even time i uh, visit other cities in other states that I got to go to the places that the tourists are not recommending that the locals go to. Those are the places you want to seek out.
2: I see. I see. So Alive and Kicking is just one place that you recommend.
0: Alive and Kicking in Cambridge is good. But see, the thing is, when are you coming here?
2: So this is the first week of November. Okay. Uh, Yeah.
0: So then at that time it's going to be expensive because seafood will be market price at that point because we're out of season.
2: Uh but I'm uh I'm doing there's an event in in Prov- in Providence and I'm coming <laughs> in to Boston to go to the airport so. Oh. Okay. okay <laughs> yeah, gotcha. So it's, I don't have much flexibility unfortunately in terms of when I go there so.
0: Terry might be able to tell you some places too because um Another one, too, there's also Neptune Oysters in the North End. They have really good food. They're they're a little bit more pricey, though. That's kind of like a date night place. Oh, Neptune uh, Oyster? Neptune Oyster. At one point, they were rated to have the best lobster roll
2: at one point. Mm. I see. I see. Okay. Sounds good. Um,
0: Man, I'm thinking about clam chowder now. (laughs) Man. I'm thinking about it. I might have to, you know what? I can make my own clam chowder, but yeah, it's, um, but yeah, but you'll see that, especially like a lot of the places, um, the North end has like amazing restaurants. That's like the, that's where a lot of the Italian restaurants are. The North end has like amazing restaurants. I don't think you can really go wrong in the North end to be honest with you. Um, and then, um, um, I'm trying to think. Some of the places that the college kids go to, those are usually in Allston or Back Bay neighborhood. Food will be cheaper there because that's where you know because they're trying to cater to the college kids. Um, Is it? Then, tr- oh, go ahead.
4: Is it true that um, you guys will chase people out of Boston if you say, "Hey, where's Red Lobster at"? <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know what, though? Even before I lived here, I never liked Red Lobster. I never liked it. I tried it. too much sodium.
4: It's It's, not good for your blood pressure. It's too much sodium anyway.
0: Not only that, them damn cheddar biscuits. Like one time I got a cheddar biscuit from Red Lobster and it wasn't cooked all the way in the middle. They tried to kill me.
4: Just like you wouldn't take an Italian person to Olive Garden.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, the restaurants in the North End um Brent, you can't go wrong. Hanover Street or um I forget that other side street. There's another side street in the North End that has good restaurants too. But anyway, the North End's really small so you can just walk around and take your pick. Also like you'll get you'll find really good cafes in the North End too. I mean, I don't drink coffee anymore. But when I did drink coffee, like I'd love to go into the the cafes in the North End because they have like the real stuff. Like Starbucks has nothing on that.
2: (laughs) Okay, sounds good. And you guys uh, say clam chowder. Like, is there a special way you say I mean, I heard there's like a Boston accent. Is there a special way you say it or?
0: I mean, people who are from here are probably going to drop the E and the R but the thing is, don't do that. Like people here actually don't like when people try to do the Boston accent. <laughs> they really don't. People be like, stop. they be like, stop.
5: Stop.
2: <laughs> All right. Sounds good. That's a good note to end on. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank, thank you, you so much, Brent. Okay. All right, I'm going
0: to bring you in just a second to share. Let's go to Noelle.
3: Good evening, everybody. Um, So much is going on in the world today, but um, I'll start with Cornel West. Um, You know, what's clear to me from the whole his whole foray into running for president is that this is something he had not really contemplated. And I think when the people from um, the People movement for People's Party recruited him, it was something that he thought about at that point. And as I think about Cornel West, since he has been in this project, he has never really, for my taste, moved into that presidential mode where he began to speak through policy and in policy framings And, you know, he is who he is. And this, my brother, my sister, and this and that, that is tired. And, you know, I would expect that he would move into a slightly more formalized presentation. So it's clear to me that this is not something he contemplated. And so he was not prepared to shift his presentation. And, you know, this, I'm a jazz man and all that, you know, I'm like, OK, I get it. it it's your stick. But, you know, if you're running for president, there is a different expectation. And so he has to own this, you know, in its entirety, all the movement from the People's Party over to the Greens. And then you get a campaign manager and he leads you away from the. If you're really thinking and really, you know, about running for president, some of those decisions, including, you know, moving from the Green Party, would have been something that would not have um, hit you from the broadside. I think you would have been able to make a different set of decisions. And it goes unsaid that in terms of running for national office, especially, you know, even given the fact that he had a national profile, albeit not for being a politician, it takes organization. It takes organization, and you have to mobilize that organization. To get on those ballots and this and that. And even if you're running for one of the two major parties, it still takes a huge amount of organization and you have to have field offices and these things. So for him to contemplate not, I mean, to run outside of a party, you know, The Green Party, I think, was the most reasonable decision because there was some party infrastructure and some level of organization. And of course, you're going to have to dig in and work with the people and get that behemoth moving. So for him to, you know, Peter Dow to come in and within a fortnight, convince him to move on to you know, running as an independent. And when he talked about that, he talked about the freedom to be himself and this and that and blah, blah, blah. Well, that tells me you're really interested in doing what you've always done. Because if you're trying to run for president and you've really thought about being the president, you know you're gonna have to make some adjustments. You're gonna have to work with a whole lot of different people. You're gonna have to build a staff. And if you win, build a cabinet. And this is not you just always doing what you want to do. You can maintain an integrity to your personality, but of course, those behaviors and what it takes to run those offices and run an administration is g- re- going to require a whole different set of competencies and distinct skill sets. And I don't think he really contemplated. So the idea of moving from the Green Party, which he felt encumbered him, to independent, which would allow him to be more free was a telling sign that you really didn't want to be bothered. And you you are best doing just what you've been always doing, coming on, being a commentator, doing the My Brother, the, you know, precious lives of everybody. And that's just who he is. And I don't think he could shift those gears. And I really think, you know, I thought when he moved to independent, he was moving to the off-ramp. And now that Peter Dow is, you know, now he has personal health issues, this and that. It's just a convenient way for his whole campaign to just kind of be like, I'm done. And it leaves everybody intact, so to speak. But, you know, again, it all plays in favor for the two big parties, because now the threat that could have been is now kind of neutralized in a certain kind of way because all of the instability from moving to moving to moving, people are like, oh yeah, well, whatever. Um, and that the idea of Cornel West being a viable candidate for president is going to quickly fade from the American consciousness, I think. They will always see him as the professor, you know, the minister the public intellectual. And that will just be that. Um, and maybe that better serves the left, because I don't think the left in and, in and of itself is not ideologically aligned enough to produce, you know, that type of candidate, um, you know. And so for me, I think the Green Party is the best. I'm, I, I just feel kind of, you know, somber about the whole thing. In terms of Vivek Ramaswamy, you know, Vivek has no real background to mention. He's a billionaire and how he came to be that billionaire is questionable. And so he's fast talking, but he's clearly trying to appeal to the Donald Trump set. And in that way, he comes across as inauthentic because he can be quite condescending sometimes in the way he speaks to people or responds to issues. And he, like, I think, um, DeSantis from Florida, they picked up on that um, Trump model and they're trying to duplicate it to the best of their ability, but they are, they're not Donald Trump. And so they can't really walk in his shoes authentically. And so You know, DeSantis comes off as inauthentic in a certain kind of way, and so does Vivek, because they're both trying to appeal to an audience that I can tell from the way they talk, they're trying to appeal to an audience that they understand is likely less intelligent than they are. And so at times, Vivek talks above their head and in a condescending way, and DeSantis sometimes comes across as you know, a doofus because he is so under beneath what his capacity is likely. And so it's just a scramble, but they're clearly trying to appeal to that slice of the Republican electorate that is extreme and is afraid and is full of grievance that Donald Trump appeals to so readily and so naturally. Um, And like I say, they're not the snake oil salesman that Donald Trump naturally is. And so, you know, he's not someone, and I think Bree did a great job in exposing him. Um, In terms of the situation with Palestine and as it is occupied by Israel, this is clearly a fight for control of narrative. You know, when you think about what happened to the Americans of descendants of slavery through the centuries, those things were able or enabled because we were living in a different time when media was slower, you had to depend on newspapers and then came radio and then came television. So it was easy to pull the wool over the the eyes of the masses in a different way. But now in this age of technology, we're in the global village, you know, everything is instantaneous, especially the flow of information, knowledge is everywhere, information is everywhere. And what we see from the um, protests from the colleges and this and that is that these kids clearly understand how Israel as it occupies Palestine has come to exist and see in terms of the development of the United States, it was easier to do then to exterminate or move in a genocide away across the indigenous population because it, was, it took such a long period of time. But now people see this Israel occupation, you know, in 75 years, is really not a very long time. And I think the global powers, especially in the West, realized that People are on to this. People are not just buying what you say to them and they're getting their information from different sources. And so it is not as easy to control the narrative and make people believe what you want them to believe. It's not as easy anymore. And so people are seeing the devastation against the um, Gazans and the people restricted in that concentration. Camp. People understand viscerally what it means to have no options and being told to flee here and then bombs dropping, you know, and in a in a different kind of way, I think people find it relatable because people in this country who are aggrieved by the way we have to live, we understand what it is to be told, oh, you can't have universal health care, but we can cough up billions of dollars towards war. People get the hypocrisy. But I think more than that, people identify with the feeling of being trapped and not really having practical options and just being told by the, the state, oh, do this, do that. When the reality is it's not as simple to do this or do that. It's not simple to make it on a minimum wage that does not meet the standard of living. And so people identify as, and when I say people, I mean the, the working class and poor, they understand that. And when the person from the UN said, you know, this whole thing didn't start with October 7th, there was a lead up and the, the administrative state just responds viscerally to that. And they're trying to weaponize you know, people who are anti-Zionists and conflate them with people who are anti-Semitic and this and that, but people are getting it. Even the people who don't understand the difference in the terminologies understand what they have seen. People walked out of their homes and, and put into this restricted place and we see it. And so I think it's a huge fight for narrative. And we also see through this, the collapse of the fourth estate, we have no free press. They're all bought and sold and we see it now. They're not trying to tell the sides of the stories. You know, Glenn Greenwald just did a really good piece where he was talking about true journalism disrupts the narrative. It exposes the secrets of the state, which is why Julian Assange is sitting over in a prison because he exposed. But we also see the collapsing of power. We see the fascism in the unfolding, regardless of whether it is coming through the Democrats or the Republicans. The idea is to control. And so for me, it's really, you know, and I see the scramble of an empire in collapse, losing control of the narrative. But what is clear to me as well is this country will move militaristically, domestically, and internationally at all cost. And it, when it feels threatened, they will, they will legitimize the taking of your freedoms. And they will trick you into believing that those things are legitimate, just like they did with the Patriot Act. And just the way they shut down any diverse opinions around COVID. So we're really, I think, in some real challenging times. And I'm just praying that people turn away from some of the entertainment, dial in, start reading, start following these narratives because we need a widespread awakening, you know, so that people can because the threat is real. The threat is real. And I'll, you know, move on from.
0: Well said, Noel. Well said. And I'll bring in Ashura. and I want to remind everybody, we got to remember, Glenn Greenwald was the one who actually covered the Edward Snowden story. That's how I actually first heard of Glenn Greenwald. Um, so that was him, again, exposing the secrets of the state. And, um, you know, he, he put his his life at risk, like, reporting that story. So that's just something to keep in mind. What's going on, Ashura? You just have to hit the unmute uh, button there. What's up? I'm
6: doing good. Uh, tonight uh, I didn't see much of it uh, I, I saw some of it I saw the call now What's one The Vivek Ramaswamy What a snake <laughs> <laughs> They really call him a snake Because he, he, he basically double talks He says one thing And then he turns around As if you forgot what he said the first time And then he says the opposite <laughs> I'm like what Then he does it again He repeats it again Then he does it again a second time like you understand? I I can I, I I I'm basically following every word you're saying, right?
0: Yeah. It um. It's you know. I think he really. I think that Bree really exposed exposed his foreign policy position because the thing is, I'm like, look, dude, how are you gonna say? First, you you're gonna say you just worried about just America, America first, right? And then like you you know. Then it's like, well, no. Um, you know, we, we gotta be there for, oh, I'm more concerned about China. Dude, then you are not like, you say you're not concerned about other countries. Then you reveal you're concerned about China. Like, so look, you look, Vivek Ramaswamy would be just as much of a war hawk as the other ones. He's trying to pretend like he's different. And I think the thing is because he knew how unpopular it was to aid uh Ukraine, right? So Americans were getting tired of that. And I think he realized, well, okay, I need to have the right position on that. However, at that point in time, when he first started to run, we didn't have this war with Israel. So that actually that actually revealed how people really think in the space. And I think that like, you know, it, it exposed some people. I, I talked to, um, if you guys haven't seen it, watch the interview I did with Glenn Greenwald that posted earlier today, we talked about that earlier today. And even Glenn Greenwald said, well, yeah, some people have been exposed. Like, so I think that um, it's just, it's very telling. I think that, I think Vivek is fake. And I, I called it, I think like a couple months ago, I called it. I said, I'm telling you guys, this guy is not who you think he is. And, you know, the Harvard connection with Pete Buttigieg and Al Sharpton, and it's just all been revealed. It's just all been revealed. And I think that, um, you'll see more of this. You'll see more of it.
6: So that means his chances of being, uh, Trump's VP are over. Cause he always seems like a suck up and, uh, and I agree with Noel when they say they're trying to get that Trump, that Trump base that he has a lock on, because if you have a lock on the Trump base, you have a lock on the on the party itself.
0: Yeah, and not only that, too. So basically, you know how um, people say don't reinvent the wheel? That's what um, Vivek and Ron DeSantis are doing. They're not trying to reinvent the wheel. They're just taking what Trump already established and they're trying to capitalize on that. That's
6: yeah, what doing. They, yeah, they they they're trying to trump Trump or trying to be Trump, but you 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 cannot fake the original. People don't want they don't want a carbon copy. They want you to be you. But a lot of people like Vivek and uh, what what the what the Miss Finish Him Miss Kitana over there. Kitana, <laughs> I call it Kitana or Melina, Which one of them? Well, Melina. the darker one, now. yeah. She's she's <laughs> dark now for some reason. They they made her dark. She's not Asian anymore. Hmm. She's not Asian anymore. She's supposed to be Kitana's twin copy. Uh, Anyways, you you got, you got both them. They're trying to basically be like, well, they're trying to change themselves to get the electorate Republicans. And I'm like, do Republicans want a fake someone who's fake? I mean, if you say you don't believe in God or you don't believe in a certain God, I mean, I'm pretty sure if you say that you believe in religion and you try to make some kind of correlation between certain things in the Bible that you, that, that, they believe in you. You have certain things like that in your religion. That's the same, like, uh like basically uh, abortion, right? If your religion says you are uh, you are against abortion, and you plink it that versus uh, the biblical part, they probably they might even vote for you regardless because you just gotta find out what kind of BS they like, and you just say, "Oh, my religion basically has the same thing over here, just like your religion."
3: That's right. That's right. And they won't care. And you know, one other thing, Trump's. Ignorance is legitimate and real, so when he speaks to these people in these ways that come across his dog whistles, I mean he really did want to be king, and so when he was saying things that to any you know reasonably intelligent person just was like ridiculous, but it tied into those people who were deeply aggrieved. And and their grievances are legitimate because they feel they're being left behind in this economy. And he spoke to them as if he could not only save them from their grievance, but he could protect their privilege due to them being white. So he dialed in. But Vivek and DeSantis are really learned men. I, I, they're both, I think, Harvard graduates and this and that. So to try and duplicate that type of natural ignorance is difficult for them. And you could see them trying to speak to that audience. But, you know, it's like somebody trying to be Richard Pryor when you just don't have the timing and you just don't have it. But you could see them trying and you could see who they're trying to reach. But they just, there is no natural Uh, connectivity.
6: It's not really buffoonery. It's basically Trump has a way to... He has a way of getting out of shit. Like he could just read the room and just basically find something else, and just everybody didn't follow what he just says. The new, the new thing he says, and everybody follows it. But you can't. They can't do it. DeSantis can't do it. Vivek can't do it. Uh, what's your other name? Nikki Haley can't do it. But only Trump can pull that bullshit.
3: Because it's natural for him. He is. It really is his a part of his gift, if you call it gift. <laughs> Yeah,
6: I mean, I've seen him bullshit people, and he basically they boo him right there and he changed the conversation. And they're, they're clapping, yay! It's like they forget what he just said. Like, t- Trump is not as yeah, pro abortion, he's not pro abortion or anti gay as they think he is. Like, you get Trump alone without some fucking neocons surrounding him, he'll fucking tell you how he feels. Mm-hmm. He's not- He'll tell you he's he's, he's, he's okay with being uh, gay. He's okay with basically them having kids, them getting married. It's, it's because when he's president, he's got people surrounding him in the camera, so he has to do that bravado bullshit. But he doesn't really feel that way.
0: No, you're right about that, sure You're
6: right. And uh, about the Peter Dow thing, oh, there's a bunch of people who are going to basically uh, do victory laps on this dude. <laughs> I'm pretty sure CJ's going to be number one but CJ pulled that uh, clip you did uh, about uh, what's her name? Margaret Kimberly. And I just went on RBN uh, show because I accidentally basically typed RBN. And I, I was going to go on your channel to basically look at the thumbnail. Already, they've already prepared a talk with uh, Margaret Kimberly
0: tomorrow. Oh, is Margaret Kimberly joining tomorrow?
6: Yep. Nick
0: and oh, CJ. Oh, cool.
6: Because CJ, when he did that video with uh, uh, Kimberly and um, Ron McClone, he said he stopped it. He said, "I'm going to do a part two with Nick," and I thought they were going to talk about that shit. And with Peter Dow coming in, oh, they're going to have a field day. Or they're going to basically—I'm pretty sure even Jimmy's going to talk about it because I feel like with Peter Dow, this bullshit about him him leaving because uh, he he is sick or his family's sick—I'm like, come on, Cornell, that's a bunch of bullshit. Just, just admit, man, you got fooled by this dude. Man, I never trusted Peter Dow when he came on the sh- on your show. You, he may, uh, he, he, you may believe them, but I, I didn't. I, 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 I thought he was a bo- a bullshitter. And the IDF thing, and then you got the war with Israel. How much you wanna bet it's the fact that If they sniff around like those kids, look at Cornell West. Like, like they wanna vote for Cornell West, but then they sniff around. Somebody tweets, "Oh, Peter Dow was trained by the IDF." How much do you think they're going to be seeing turn, around, turn against Cornel West?
0: Well, that's that's a really good point, Ashura. That's a good point, how people will see. Well, the other thing is, too, you know, this was an issue when he was a part of Marianne Williamson's campaign. This was an issue, let's be honest, guys. The idea? The family part. This oh, is okay. an issue, and that's why that's what I was trying to say before when he came on the show. Well, if you why did why go join another campaign if you know that you have like the family health issues? Why would you go join another campaign? That's the thing.
6: Yeah, that made that made no sense to me. I mean, I mean, if your family's sick, then stay with your family. Go vote for go work for another campaign the next 4 years. You could do that. But why jump cuz people were saying, "Well, to me, my problem I had with Cornell West when he went on the Jimmy Dore show, and when he started, Jimmy started talking and he cut Jimmy off, he didn't let Jimmy explain himself because, you know, Jimmy's not really the smartest guy in the room, so he's not the smartest guy. So you, he would have to have time to explain to Corner West what he wanted, but Corner West felt a certain way he wanted to feel. But now that his campaign, like you said, his campaign message has uh, been updated, I feel like just like what Mark and Kimberly said, if he had stuck around with the Greens, get the nomination – he could have just updated his platform the same way it is when he's running as an independent.
0: But I think the question we need to start asking in removing Cornell West from the equation. Why do so many people have problems with the Green Party? Well, why do so many people, Ralph Nader, had problems with the Green Party? Jesse Ventura had problems with the Green Party? Jesse Ventura told me this on my show himself. In fact, I need to bring him back on. Um, Jesse Ventura had problems with the Green Party. Davi, who was just on my show, you know, seeking the nomination of the Green Party, he's having problems with the Green Party. So I think this is a question again, like, why are so many politicians, so many candidates having trouble with having issues with the Green Party? So the Green Party is not without fault. Like, it's it's not perfect just because it's a third party. There have been issues with it, just like there's been issues with PSL. Go ahead, Roger.
4: So, if for anybody here, um, I just wanted to bring some good news, uh, especially if you're from New York. Um, I don't know. Oh, yeah, you did see what I tweeted before.
0: So, somebody. we going to discuss that tomorrow.
4: But oh, okay. okay, fine. You discuss it tomorrow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know you excited, Roger. I know you. <laughs>
4: okay, you, you discuss it tomorrow. So, I'll, I'll say this instead. Anybody who's from New York um knows uh, uh like with Donald Trump. We grew up watching Donald Trump in the uh in the news, pretty much. So it's kind of like you know, like we was just like, yeah, that's 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 Donald Trump. You know what I mean? It's just that the rest of the country didn't know him like we did. You know what I mean? So we knew that. Yeah, this guy's a charlatan. He he's always been in the press. He's always been, you know, uh, uh, you know, like very stage orient, P.T. Barnum type of oriented. You know what I mean? It's just the rest of the country was they just knew him from The Apprentice, you know. But right. we've always known him to be having like business problems, uh, that Taj Mahal thing. You know, or, or, you yep. know all, all that stuff. So it's just like you know, yeah, whatever. So you know,
0: yeah. I think it's just. and Go ahead, Ashura, because I know you. You weren't finished there, but we gotta we gotta start asking like what's happening with the Green Party, and and I will say this though, I will say some of the things I think that Cornell West said about the Green Party. You know, I've heard these concerns from people before, people who weren't candidates and. You know, maybe there are some things where some areas where the Green Party could reevaluate some things like who they're trying to appeal to and why, you know?
6: Well, that's the Howie Hawkins point, uh, the uh, wing. What I'm saying is if he gets a nomination, he becomes the face. So they got no choice not to basically run on on those messages. Because he was he was what he was what was going to make them more popular than they were before.
0: But so was Jesse Ventura. And this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm trying to tell you guys. Jesse Ventura, he had the same. Jesse Ventura said, when he came onto my show, I'm going to find that interview. He said, the Green Party, he said, they're a mess, Sabrina. Jesse Ventura told me this. What was this? Too... Eric, what was that? Like two years ago? Almost two years ago? I forget. Hey, I'd have
7: to look it up. Mm.
0: Oh, go ahead, Yashira. Sorry.
7: I know one thing I'll throw in there is that if if Cornell had stayed with the Green Party and was there now, then people would be all complaining and saying, oh, he shouldn't be in the Green Party. He should be running independent. Why didn't he run independent? I don't know. People just like to complain and be negative.
6: I I would definitely be one of those
4: people saying you need to be independent. I'm okay with this move to being independent, but you know
0: why. (laughs) Yeah, so, so, show party. Something I, I did see earlier, um, which I forgot to mention tonight. Something I did see on Tim Black show. Apparently, when Doctor West went independent, his funding actually increased. So there's there's something to be said for that.
8: Go ahead, I
6: hope if uh, if he. It- He better get at least one swing state, because if he didn't get one at least, I mean, where uh, is he going to get the movement built uh, built, uh, in the next four years?
0: I mean, I think the big thing, like in terms of movement, like he's been doing a lot of stuff on the ground. I mean, I've covered those things that he's done on the ground, which I think that other politicians should have been should have gone to. I think other other candidates should have been at the UAW strike. I mean, to me, that was like a no-brainer. Do you stand with labor or not? On
6: the, so, on the way uh, Cornel West has uh, comported, I noticed tonight when he was on uh, Quiz Cuomo, he's still doing that shit where he's nice to them, where they're just crapping all over him. <laughs> they're aggressive against him. And that was like, I don't know if it, if it was after the Jimmy thing, if, if that's that's how he became a bit aggressive, where it's the, he left the Greens, but uh, but he's still doing that little apology, being nice to them a bit. Like, yes, he's getting a bit aggressive, but he's being a little bit too nice to them. Like, there's a point where they did that that forty forty babies thing, beheaded babies, and he he just let that slide. He, he didn't he didn't basically go back on it. He just let Chris Cuomo basically do that shit.
0: Yeah, he should have pushed back on that. But I, I will say, um, in reference to being nice to people, all of them are doing that. Marianne is nice to you know for the most part to the people who interview her even when they're not nice so is RFK Jr. to be honest
6: yeah
9: so is
0: RFK- Dude, this is something I want us to think about like when we talk about being nice to people RFK Jr. has not gone on to anyone's show who's really going to give him a tough time he hasn't gone on to left like think about it he hasn't gone on to gray zone still that's still like crazy like up in there or whatever Hasn't gone into gray zone. He hasn't even gone into useful idiots to talk to Katie Halper and Aaron Mate. Like, come on. Like, how do you, that's what I'm trying to tell you guys. I know several people, people who did reach out to interview him. So the thing is, RFK Jr. Is avoiding those tough conversations. He's only going on to the shows that for the most part, for the most part, without exception to Glenn Greenwald's interview, for the most part he's only going onto to the shows where they kind of more lean with what he's saying that's why he's mainly on right-wing and libertarian shows whereas Cornell west is going on to shows with people who disagree with him and people who agree with him
6: yeah because uh rfk he's not going to leftist shows like well, i mean the only left show left leaning show he, he he went to was jimmy Dore. Even if Jimmy Dore has a right wing, um, um, a proportionate right wing audience, he's not going to go anywhere. I don't think he's going to come on your show anytime soon. You ever got a call from uh, Miss whatever her name is?
0: Oh, I don't even respond anymore.
6: Oh, they don't? An
0: RPG? No, I don't even. No, no, I don't know. I'm not trying to get him to come onto my show like anymore. I stopped that a while ago. Okay. Um, Like I said, like if he shut down, this is something to think about. If he won't go on to the gray zone and he knows Max Blumenthal, I mean he's definitely not going to come on to my show.
6: Oh, that that that's that's not really a thing. It it, it it's it's gone. That part is gone. Even uh, even Jimmy even he still has a soft spot for him, but even he fucking <laughs> admit that he he's he, he just went he shit the bed completely. He was doing the he was doing uh what's it called The uh, well, the 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 thing he has uh, the, the conservative uh, platform Rumble, he was talking about it. He said that uh, everyone's like looking for a hero because he was looking for a hero. He basically he mentioned Bernie, he mentioned RFK. He said that most of these guys literally all you need is one topic and they expose their asses to you. Mm-hmm. Like RFK said, RFK had everything going for him. He had the COVID right. He had the, he had the, 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 the Ukraine right. He was so going good. He was trying to talk about like the, the censorship shit. He said he was going right on top until he had to fucking just sleep in, in bed with Israel. And then he went after fucking China. And then Iran. And then Jimmy was like, okay, we're fucking done.
0: He was right about, on some parts, like when he was on Glenn Greenwald show and he talked about China, he got, got it right. But after that, like that's what Glenn was saying earlier today. Something happened after that event, after that interview with Glenn Greenwald. He lost his shit. Like he totally went off the mark. Totally went off the mark.
6: You sure? You it sure wasn't Israel? That basically was a it wasn't Israel Palestine thing because it seems to me it was the it was the Palestine thing after uh, what's his name the 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 rocker uh, ne- oh, I forgot his name the one that basically he 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 said that um, he said was he was anti Semitic. Roger uh, Rogers. R- Roger Rogers. Yeah. Roger Rogers. And then when Pasta basically came up to him and Pasta said, and the Palestinians, yep. you can, you can say he didn't want to basically acknowledge the Palestinians at all. He, he, he was basically not, Israel has a right to exist except for the Palestinians. Cause he didn't want to say shit. Cause Pasta was like keeping his hopes up. And both him and Pasta basically said, they're done. They're, he's not, he's not, he's not the peace candidate. Even if Jimmy finally said it. In that stream, that he's not the peace candidate.
0: Well, we he, had these conversations with Pasta on stream and in private. We tried to tell Pasta and 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 several others, and they were willing to just be like, "Well, no, it's just one issue. No, it's not just one." And then we ended up with this. Then we ended up going into October seventh, and this is why I try to tell people, it's not just this is not just one issue. This issue in particular affects humanity and this issue in partic- particular we're talking about people losing not just like humanitarian aid but people like you losing like their fucking humanity people being you know captive so to speak so that's the thing i was like no it's it's not just one issue not this one so that's the thing and Sometimes I wonder, like, if October 7th didn't happen, like, would people have changed their position on RFK Jr.? Or would they still just be, like, defending RFK Jr. and saying this is just one issue?
7: I think anyone who needed October 7th to figure out what the deal is with the, um, with the Israelis and Palestinians just didn't get it. You know, they, they're just not... They're not anybody you should listen to or respect, in my opinion.
0: Good point, there, Eric. Anything else, Ashura? Ashura? Uh oh. Uh-oh. Oh, you were yeah. muted. Sorry. Yeah,
6: <laughs> no. you didn't really need October seventh because he said those things long before his ass got exposed. <laughs> long before that, his ex- he, his ass got exposed when he went on the. Jimmy Dostro and just went on a complete Bullshit And even <laughs> Jimmy repeated that stuff again And he didn't need it. No, no. October 7th was just him Reaffirming his love for Israel His financial ties mm-hmm. He said it He said I have financial ties and, and I was talking to a guy And he said you know what Israel has Because Israel is like a dry barren land Oil mm-hmm. They have oil and in Canada, there's a place called Alberta. They have oil, some kind of oil sands, I believe they, they have in Alberta. Yeah, the
7: Alberta tar sands. They extract the dirty oil out. Yep.
6: Yeah, they have that. Uh, so I, I guess that's what they want. I, I also think that's why they want the uh, complete land of uh, the Gaza Strip. And as for the people of the Gaza Strip, I was watching a video about uh, the tunnels of uh, uh, Gaza, Oh, (laughs) They're about to get fucking screwed If they fight them in those tunnels I heard they got destroyed They they went down the first time They went in down there, they got destroyed And then they said, oh no, we're just waiting We're just waiting (laughs) on what the United States says You you know who's from Alberta? Uh, Stephen Harper? No, no, he's Calgary I don't know who's from Alberta, who? James Howlett Who's that? Wolverine's real name Oh, go, 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 James Howlett, okay.
0: Oh, boy. Okay. Okay,
6: okay. soon you're going to talk about Alpha Flight. What is it? Yeah. That, that
4: was my next thing, but
0: keep
6: going. Okay. Anyway, Sabrina, I'm going to let Notori in, so she's probably going to basically talk about her own feelings about this.
0: All right. No. Thank you so much, Ashura.
4: No bad cookies. His real name is, is not Logan. It's James
0: Howlett. We're actually gonna bring in um, Bruce first, and then we'll go to the Tory. What's up, Bruce? You just have to uh, unmute.
10: I think I got it. Can you hear me? Hey. Hey. Um, yeah, this whole Israel thing—if there's been one good thing about it, sort of, it's that it kind of cuts through the bullshit. Like I, I've noticed—I noticed this years ago—but like a shortcut to knowing, like, if a politician's kind of legit, I just check how they what they have to say about the Israel situation because it's almost like, it is one issue, but, like, I hear I hear what, I know what people mean when they say that, but like, I also know what you mean, Sabi, when you say that it's, it, it tends to like, bleed into other things, so it's like, but it kind of lets you know what's up with somebody, like, straight away, like, I know, that's if I didn't know RFK Jr. was in shit before this, like, like, it cleared that up, like, it, it uh, cleared <laughs> up friends are like, mini neocons that I had no idea about, like, these motherfuckers posting like like i'm like all right i didn't know i was i didn't know i was friends with so many neocons god damn but like it just brought out the truth in everybody like if there's been one good thing about it and i i like how cornell west has been handling it. it like and like you were saying you've noticed him kind of more fired up lately i've i've noticed you more fired up lately and i like it so like i think this just kind of brings it out in people like it's a it's a it's not an it's not an easy thing to discuss and and well, I mean, um, it's like those
0: of us at um, at RBM we've been trying to tell people about this issue for the past yeah. like two and a half years you know
10: yeah yeah and it's it's surprising I have so many friends that are like went to good colleges they, they're they very open-minded about everything and on this issue they're, they have some, they're like RFK like, like it's it's so fucking weird in a uh, and I keep telling them, like, one day you're just going to, like, you're going to feel dumb. Like, because I, like, to me, it was an issue I never thought about, or I just, I guess I tried not to think about it too much, you know, just because you, you feel like you're going to fall into a trap, like, making any kind of statement about it. So, like, I just tried not to think about it for a long time, but then I just started noticing shit, like, you know what I mean? Like, uh just how, I, what it does to people, <laughs> like, um it kind of let you know just like you know where RFK Jr is at like and i remember the exact moment he he fell off um and that was when that tweet came out where he was complimenting dude from Pink Floyd cuz he put up a nice tweet first he said like oh Roger Waters is a true revolutionary or, or some shit like that and yeah. i remember thinking that's dope like i want a president that's down with Roger Waters right but then like right away he put up another tweet that was like i take it back like well he's a uh, and he had like all this like APAC type shit to say about him all of a sudden, and that's mm-hmm. when, I, what the fuck is going on now? Like that—that's when I first noticed it in him. But yeah, like it, it, this just seems to be bringing out the truth in everybody. And like, I like how Corner West is like likable. Uh, somebody was saying they were annoyed with that, like like he's being too nice or whatever. But he's just that kind of dude. Like he's—you <laughs> can't help but not like him. You know what I mean? Like. I've never had the privilege of meeting him, but like I've I've been following them for years and I, like I watched a lot of C SPAN and I used to love when he came on C SPAN. That was like I was I I would always he'd always have my undivided attention because I'd be like, Oh, this dude is awesome. And like uh, yeah I and I. I,
0: people, I think some people wanna see like a drag down like fight after Trump. Like I think people just wanna see like more of the drag down like Rhetoric that that we saw during that time, and I think some people see that as entertainment. But I think it's important to note, you know, remember that Dr. West is an academic and. Yeah, no, and and it's
10: not like he's he's righteous too. I mean, he'll tell you what he thinks, and he's he'll be straight, maybe even straight about it than before. But like, I I like I like the way he conducts himself. I mean, like he's he's just a charming dude, and like you can't help but think if a if a guy like him ever had power, like. If some of the shit that we have to worry about, like you know what's going on in the Middle East, or like what Biden's ass is gonna do, like decide to do tomorrow to make it worse, like, like he, like he would just be somebody I would not feel any kind of bad. I would have no bad feeling about him being in charge of shit, basically. Like, I, I know that we wouldn't get into some bullshit. Like, I just he's just righteous, you know what I mean? Like, you just get that feeling from him. So, like, I know I wish this campaign wasn't a mess. Like, I, I think. I think I don't know. Yeah. I,
0: you know, I, I think I think like Dr. West a little bit more free spirited and like with the campaign, like there there is structure. Like there yeah, you do need to have some type of structure there and stuff. And I think that um sometimes people you know, I, I don't know. Like I said, like I have heard a lot of things about yeah. the Green Party. This is why like when I left the Democratic Party I'm just an independent. Like, I'm not. Sure. I didn't join the. I didn't leave the independent. Excuse me, leave the Democratic Party and join the Green Party or join PSL. I just stayed independent.
10: Right. No, I hear you. Uh, same way. I was Democrat I until in- Democrats stopped sounding like they were describing me. Like, I was like, oh, I don't think I'm a Democrat anymore. Like, just from hearing what they, all the shit that they were done with. Like, and I just became independent that way, too.
0: That's right. I yeah. want to bring in. Um, Notori, I want to bring you in here for just a second uh, to get your take on this, and then I'll I'll come back to you after Bruce. You just have to um, unmute. Or if um, Notori's, there you go. Hello. Hello.
9: I want to talk about Wes. Um, um, The Peter Pumpkin Eater thing, I think he did his job. His job was to get West out of the Green Party, and I just don't. I don't blame just um Peter. I blame Jill and West. I don't believe Peter. Um, I don't believe Peter when he's talking about his health problem. It's a essay.
10: so. You think it's like sabotage? Like he's trying to sabotage him, like leaving. Um. Because some people think it's better that he's out of the Green Party. I, My, I,
9: would, I, think it's a I don't good, have an
10: opinion on that, but, but yeah, do you think, think he's it's trying to mess him up?
9: Too. I think it's a good thing that he left. But um, like the same thing he did with the Marianne, um, the Mariana campaign, he was talking about his parents were sick, and now he's talking about his, his health problems.
10: Yes, yeah, I don't believe like it. That totally sounds made up. <laughs> like, but the
9: damage, to me, the damage is already done because it looks weak as fuck. It's giving, don't know what he's doing. It's giving flip-flopping ass bitch. And the brother-sister thing that he do, um that's, that worked my nerves. Oh, does it? I like
10: it. Oh. Uh, Yeah, that's interesting. I did try to explain this to
0: Dr. West when he was on last time. Like When people see you move from party to party in in such a short amount of time, it's not even the fact that you move because like, right, like RFK Jr. moved, like I mean, we talk about campaign managers. Marianne Williamson, Cornell West and RFK Jr. have all lost campaign managers, right? So all of them have gone through it. But I think with Dr. West, it's just that there's been a lot of changes in a short amount of time. Now, I still think He has a great platform. I still like his positions on a lot of these issues. I will also say I do feel like he is more assertive in these interviews now. Like I saw him with the one with Chris Cuomo. He's more assertive in these interviews now than he was before when he was with the Green Party. And so when he said, I got to be able to be myself. And then when Jill Stein came on and said, there's certain language that you can't use when you're running through the Green Party. Now I'm starting to wonder if they were holding him back. I bet.
10: I bet they were. I bet they were. It's, it sounds like way. I mean,
9: I think it's a good thing that he left the Green Party, and I think it's a bad thing because I feel like he made his job even harder because a lot of people is going to have to actually work even harder to get him, um, like in the States.
0: The
6: state-
10: yeah, get on out of that.
0: I'm it's sure. going to be hard. Like, I'm not joking around because, like, Ralph Nader is a good example to point to. And I granted, this was years ago, but Ralph Nader did both. Ralph yeah. Nader ran as a green and Ralph Nader ran as an independent. All you got to do, if you look up um, Ralph Nader's wiki page, it tells you how many states he got when he ran as a green and how many states he got when he ran as an independent. He got more states when he ran as a green.
10: Did he? How did ross perot do did he do better or worse than um because those are the two i've heard of third par- third party dudes
0: i have to look up and see which ones that ralph nader excuse me not ralph nader uh ross perot got i do know one thing to keep in mind guys ross uh perot was a billionaire yeah so he
10: was he used to buy used out tv be-
0: he can He's buy a- his man. way on the ballot see people like that like ralph um i keep saying ralph dang uh ross perot if you're a billion, like he can just buy his way on the ballot in these states, and and to be honest with you guys, that's probably how RFK Jr. is going to do it.
8: Yeah, RFK Jr.
0: True. is a millionaire, like he's he's worth a lot. So RFK Jr. is probably going to buy his way on the ballot in these states.
10: Ross Perot used to just straight up buy TV time. He used to be like, "Fuck Seinfeld, you're watching me tonight." Like I'm buying this hour. Mm-hmm. Like he they really had that much money, yep. which is yep. cr- and he used to just explain shit. Like if you watch, I watched it once. I was little, but I still remember. He just seemed like a real, like, he was, like, a character. But.
0: I know people that voted for Ross Perot. What's
10: well, so funny I, if you don't hear uh, Republicans, you know how people are mad at, like, uh, at third party. Like, the Democrats always get mad at Ralph Nader or whatever. They still hate him for 2000 or whatever. Like, um, you don't hear that. You don't hear Republicans talking shit about Ross Perot ever. Yeah, and you think that they might because he got Clinton elected, some people say. Some people say he took votes away from George Bush's dad or whatever.
0: Well, and you don't if, if you that. watch the de- if you watch the debate with George, uh, Bush and, um, King Ross Perot, because Ross Perot was on the debate stage, guys, that was another thing that made a big yeah. difference.
11: So if all- you
0: watch the debate with um George one, Bush, Ross Perot, and Bill Clinton, then you'll yep. see that um George Bush did not do well in that debate.
10: No, none of them.
0: So there was that too.
10: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I don't blame Ralph Nader for the Democrats losing. I think Democrats lose on their own, but like, it's just funny. You don't hear Republicans using that excuse for getting mad at, at um, Ross Perot, <laughs> like, that, like, like how Democrats mad at Ralph Nader for running over. Here's like,
3: another thing another to thing consider. Is. We know that, um, you know, the pre- first of all, we know that all the problems that electoralism presents and that we know that is, you know, for the most part, not the way But given that you're going to involve yourself in that project, running for president is about leadership. And people are looking for that demonstration of leadership. I give Cornel West all the props for being morally centered and being able to see the humanity in both sides and this and that, I get that. But when it comes to leadership, If you had thought about running for president, it wouldn't have necessarily manifest through an invitation from Nick Bronner and MPP. So here, here we entering the thing because you were invited. And then, you know, so you hadn't done your homework on the MPP and then the people who had insight invited you out of the MPP, Chris Hedges and Jill Stein and that group and say, oh, come over to the green. So here we see you go Tron over to the green party. Then Jill is looking for you and she finds Peter Dow, you know, and Peter invites you out of the green party and here you go following out. That's the way it looks. And so he has a wonderful national profile and he has a national brand, so to speak, But running for president requires you to be in the leadership. You saying, I made this decision, I chose this. And it's not always the invitations that precede what happens. That's a really good
10: point. That's a really good point. And
3: so it just seems like, oh, you're just following, you know, somebody going to invite you to bake a cake and you're going to be like, oh, I'm a jazz man, I'm going to bake this cake. But I
10: mean, on the (laughs) other hand, on the other hand, even if he doesn't win, right, even if he doesn't win and all we get out of it is like he becomes a part of these conversations like Israel-Palestine that are like on the national platform, like even if that's all the world gets out of it is to. To but see him tell um, Hannity to get off the crack he, pipe, if that's all we get out of this. Like, but it here's was,
3: the thing, we were I'm, already I'm, getting that out of him. He's a public sure. intellectual. He was already in the media spaces to do his thing, which is what he's been doing. The no, beauty I, I, of I, I've his- I've
10: followed him for years, yeah.
3: The beauty of his campaign for president was to galvanize the left. We, right. you know, We kind of all understood that he would not win But we were looking for him to galvanize the left, build out that third party structure, work with the Green Party to get past some of their issues. And, you know, and I hear, Sabrina, when you're saying there are some problems with the Green Party. But think of it this way. The Green Party has existed for years and they do what they do. And then you keep getting these outsiders who are not necessarily members of the Green Party structure and they come in and there's this whole energy to just put them at the top of everything. That's not how organizations necessarily work. They weren't recruiting him from within the context of their party. JFK was running through a party that his family has been a dinosaur in for years Marianne was attempting to run through an established party. So it's a different dynamic. But for the Green Party, it's as if, oh, these other people who bring their national personalities and brands to you, and you're just supposed to rally around them and drop whatever it is, how you function, no matter how dysfunctional that is. But That's the reality true. is, you know, Cornell West, because of his national profile, if he had the discipline... It is the discipline that he lacks. You know, all this, I'm a jazz man and improv and all that. That's fine for a public, you know, intellectual who's just going to do commentary. But if you're going to run for president, that requires a certain amount of discipline and structure. And if we were to get anything additional that we weren't already getting, it would have been a consolidation of energy around the Green Party and a building out of that. So that perhaps by 28 or what have you, we would have been in a better position. You know, that was the whole enterprise that I understood. It was not just about Cornell. It was about what Cornell could do for the left movement.
10: I mean, yeah, it definitely had more potential, uh, to gain power, the, and it's a disappointment in that sense. But I I just mean, like, I don't know if I would call it a lack of discipline as much as, like, there's a certain kind of ambition that dudes for pres, that dudes that run for president or, or or even, even the women that run for president have that I don't like just personally. Like, it's just like this weird type of ambition that I don't trust in people. And like Cornell don't have that at all. You know what I mean? So it's, it's almost like he, I, I just don't think he has that like a real ambition to become president, really. Like, I think, like, and it's, I don't know that that's a bad thing. I mean, I I like him the way he is. And like, if it doesn't become president and just a few more people get to see him and hear his opinion on things, I think.
0: One thing I do want to mention, because I think some people may not be aware, um, but Jill Stein explained this to me. I think it was the, the very first time I interviewed Jill. So this is going a ways back, but Jill Stein was asked to run. So that, that's uh-huh. another one where like Jill Stein was, by the way, for people, who don't, Jill Stein was not a politician. She's a doctor. Um, yeah. She never wanted to be a politician. Yeah.
10: Shama, I mean, she has Discipline just in other ways. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Shama Sawant. Same thing. Shama Sawant did not want to be a politician. She was asked to run. So it's, it's not uncommon for that to actually happen for people to ask someone to run. And one of the yeah. things that Shama has has said when she was on my show is that be wary of the people who want to be a politician. Right. Because in her group, Socialist Alternative, it's about the, what's best for the organization. So when she was asked by the group to run for city council, they chose Shama because they said you would be the best person for it. And she did a great job um, as city councilor in, in Seattle. She did the fight for 15, like, a lot of things but again it was a movement first on the ground through socialist yeah. alternatives so she came out of that and then they said shama we want you to run but she did not want to be a politician at all and same thing with Jill Stein and I look back and I'm like these were some of the best some yeah, of the best definitely. people like Jill Stein was probably one of the best things that happened to the Green Party Howie Hawkins not so much and I, I think I look back on it and I'm like you know when we think about the people who are greens and Mm -hmm. you know we wanted to get those people to run this is another thing davi and uh jasmine sherman remember when i interviewed jasmine sherman she was running as an independent she came over to the green party because from what i understand there were some people that were part of the green party that were actively working against cornell west's campaign and they were trying to invite other people to come in and run against him right and so she she was one of those people that they they brought over but the thing is is like I think that we should be a little bit worrisome about the people who say, I want to be president. I want to be a politician. Yeah, you know who the the people that that kind of had they they were kind of had the call to do so. And they said, "Okay, I'm going to go ahead and and do this. So that is something to think about.
10: I could not agree more. I mean, that's what I'm saying. When I when I'm saying that they have a certain type of ambition, usually that turns me off. What I'm describing, I guess, is Vivek Ramaswamy. Like he's the epitome of that. Like I can't wait. Like he's he has that kind of ambition 100%. Like, and it's not something I usually trust in a person. Like, so it, it makes sense that Cornell and they're not trying to climb that ladder. Really, they're just. You know, right, but they, the, the other
0: p- thing about those, what they do, the other thing about those types of candidates is that notice they can't be bought.
10: Exactly. But yeah, like, that's Jill
0: Stein can't be bought. Notice like Shama Sawant can't be bought. I'm, I'm pretty sure Shama Sawant, she's coming on um tomorrow night, so she'll be here Friday. I'm pretty I'm sure she received like many opportunities mm-hmm. uh to, to do other political things. But um that's somebody who's really been out there fighting for the people and she can't be bought and she's shown us that like multiple times one thing i will say cornell west like he's at least willing to listen and yeah. to hear us out because when we made that big com those big complaints about that money taking that money from um harlan like he gave the money back he gave the money back so he he is at least willing to listen don't mean he gonna agree with us every time
10: no i, I think that goes a long way though I, that, what i was saying about him being in charge like if he was in charge right now i I think he's the only kind of dude that can stop the Israel thing. Like, like I ju- could just see him having a press conference. Like, uh, I I talked to Brother BB and uh, I talked some sense to him, and like, and like they come up with a solution because he's just that kind of dude. Like, he's so likable and agreeable. Like, the, uh,
0: other, the other, the way, is- thing, Longway
10: has more potential than people realize. Like, to make lives thing. or things better, you know. But it's just unfortunate that they get stomped out by that other type of ambitious person, you know, that just other- wants to climb.
0: The other thing too that I wanted to mention is I think that um oh shoot I forgot uh and go ahead anything else Bruce I'm sorry I forgot. no that was
10: it no and I just wanted to say I, I've I've been more into your show lately than than ever and I think it's because when these issues come up and you get fired up like um that's that's great and like it, it's a relief to hear that when everybody's so guarded that you listen to like I listen to all kinds of opinions and like everybody so. Garden and I, and I and I love when like the realness kind of breaks through, like uh, and, and it's been doing. It's been happening lately with all this stuff that's going on, and uh, I really enjoyed uh, watching the show lately.
0: Oh, I remember. Now. Than, I remember yeah. now. Let me say this before I forget. I'm also starting to wonder if that whole thing about calling uh, Joe Biden a a fascist or a milk neoliberal. I'm mm-hmm. also starting to wonder if that was more so coming from the Green Party, because the reason why I say that is because I showed you guys that videotape when um, or the, the, the old video when Jill was running and Jill. Remember, I said Jill Stein did the same thing. She, right. referred, she referred to Hillary as neoliberal, you know, warmonger. But she referred to Don, Donald Trump as the fascist, the same thing Cornell West did. So I wonder if that rhetoric also came from the Green Party. So I don't know what we'll, we'll have to see. I will say I think he was a little bit more assertive in this interview with Chris Cuomo. And I felt like he was not Definitely. like that when he was still part of the Green Party.
10: You're right about the Green Party. They might be in cahoots with the Democrats. I've heard from very paranoid people with no proof whatsoever, but I've heard rumors and conspiracies about how they're just controlled opposition that were set up by Democrats or whatever. And it kind of makes sense during times like this, but I've never thought too much about it. But it's possible. You have a good point. I, I, I never noticed that. But
0: well, I've you- said before, and I, I told this to Green Party members on my show, I felt like the Green Party doesn't actually want to win. I, I've said that before, like y'all need help. Yeah, with right. marketing. You need help with communications. You guys don't get the word out. Like social media sure. is right at your fingertips and you're not using it in an effective way. Um, they're so almost like the, the Democrats the
10: opening act. Yeah, they'll never headline, but they're like the opening act for the Democrats Like a, that they take on tour or whatever. They're not going to let them get too powerful. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. All right.
0: All right. All right. Thank Thanks. Thanks, Abby. Okay, uh, we have Linda on the mic. Linda, just go ahead and unmute. What's going on? Hey,
12: do you guys hear me? Hello? Yes, hi, do you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, great. Well, first of all, I just want to kind of say that I'm so happy that I kind of was able to kind of find out about your show because I watched The Hills Rising. And so I remember maybe like almost two months ago or a month or so ago, I think you were featured on there um as a commentator for one of their segments and so you know i really liked what you had to say so just kind of looking into you i was like all right you know so just started watching your you know your show maybe i want to say a month or two ago and i've really enjoyed it so i'm just really happy that there's first of all a black woman who's kind of in the independent space in terms of media but really talking about politics and things that are truly meaningful um just because again i feel like your perspective is just unfortunately not really um present obviously in like mainstream media. So, you know, I, I appreciate what you're offering. Oh, so, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I guess some of the things I want to kind of talk about. So just kind of I've been thinking and reflecting a lot about what's going on with, um, you know, Israel and Palestine. And just to give a little bit of background info. So I'm first generation um, Nigerian-American, uh, specifically Igbo. And so my parents immigrated to this country because unfortunately like our ethnic tribe was impacted by like a Nigerian civil war that happened in like the late sixties until like 1970. So I will say that, you know, like just me thinking, and I'm an older millennial. So just kind of thinking about, you know, my understanding of imperialism, I feel like, you know, from a very young age, I've always had an understanding of just really how the U S kind of conducts itself in terms of its foreign policy and how problematic it truly is. But it's very clear it's gotten even worse um because i remember very clearly i think this was maybe back in the early 90s i remember watching mtv and i remember watching there was an entire like a segment they were doing where they brought young palestinian uh, teens and then also young israeli teens um basically kind of on on like some some episode kind of like where they were doing a forum for like for you know kind of young these young teens but from different you know um you know cultures but like just having them kind of talk about their lived experience with kind of what was happening um you know, um, with kind of the conflict and everything. And so I just remember very clearly how even then, like 30 something odd years ago, there was definitely more of a focus on trying to have an understanding for both sides, if that makes sense, or for the other person's perspective in terms of like, well, yes, the the conflict clearly has always been there. And it's very clear that, you know, the Palestinians definitely are, are they've been occupied by Israel and, you know, that has been backed by, the US um, and other you know Western governments but at the same time um, I just I'm so just taken aback by the kind of just the rhetoric and the vitriol that's been displayed at the Palestinians in particular you know the civilians who have nothing to do actually with Hamas's actions but somehow just not caring to understand that hey you know you're dropping all these bombs but like do you not think obviously that you're going to be killing like you know civilians and so it's almost like not they're not, it's really clear, Israel, this is very intentional, what they're doing. This has nothing to do with them trying to truly, like, get get to Hamas, because if they were, they wouldn't be dropping bombs, like, because obviously Hamas is not in these buildings that they're dropping bombs at. Like, that, I mean, I, I just feel like that's common sense. Like, they're doing this because, again, we know they're just trying to wipe out the Palestinian people, and that's really their objective. That's why they were telling them to evacuate from the north and go to the south where they had nowhere to go. So it, it just kind of doesn't make any sense in terms of just how, like, the mainstream media pundits have been so co-opted in a sense that they really would not able really to dehumanize the Palestinians in terms of what their suffering is, and so I'm just really happy to see that you see so many, like you know, these young, like you know, young college students who are out here protesting, and just you know, the folks on the independent media space who are really speaking out against what's happening. So,
0: you know what you you brought up something that I I haven't thought about in a long time, but. You're right. MTV used to be really good about presenting different sides. Mhm. Yeah. Um, and I think like again, like I'm older millennial too, so we grew up with that like yeah. you know, just, just hearing different sides and stuff and so along the way in like the media space that really changed.
12: Yeah. You you know what? And I and I, I cuz I grew up watching like CNN, I grew up watching like a lot of news. And so I remember very vividly I feel like where it really changed I felt was after 9/11. Um, where it became very apparent that it was more about propaganda, at least to me. Um, and I was in I think I was a freshman in college when, you know, um, not when 9-11 happened, but when they were basically deciding, OK, we're going to send troops, you know, for, you know, this war that Congress didn't even vote on. But like but basically, yeah, they so just thinking about it from that perspective and just, you know, how the media was used to kind of support, you know, that narrative um but I felt like prior to that no like journalism really and truly to us I I think at least the facade of it was that okay the it's to at least give the appearance of presenting or being objective and presenting like multiple facets of whatever story you're you're speaking about to a certain extent especially when it came to like like just the, the the journalism that you know about these global issues because even like Christiane Amanpour like she was a very serious journalist I remember like when she was on CNN like you know she actually had her like her, her show on CNN back in the day like she was a very serious journalist I mean where again I'm not going to sit here and speak to maybe every like that's what she spoke about but it was definitely not where everyone now is kind of using the same language and kind of co the exact same perspectives that we constantly see now um that definitely was not the case and so it has just really just so drastically shifted in a way that um it's it's concerning. I do think that's the good thing about independent media is that, no, I you can truly, I think, get information that you're not going to get from mainstream media by actually like watching, you know, whether it's like the hills rising, even though I mean, I, I feel like is just not on the same level as Brie in terms of the ability to actually like debate specific issues um, regarding some of his foreign policy stuff. So I, I feel like he's definitely not like on her level with that, which is a bit interesting some of the things they'll say that just are not accurate but um but beyond that you know I I just think that's why independent media is so important especially in this day and age because of what's going on with just what's happening with mainstream media so
0: yeah it's really interesting too I, I just feel like um this is going to sound pretty weird to say but I do feel like people for whatever reason were a little bit more open Mm-hmm. In in certain ways, like I I feel like if I look back to like particularly the late nineties early two thousand, I do feel like when it came to like LGBTQ issues, I feel like people still had a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, because for those who don't know, like Ellen, everyone knows for the talk show. Um, mm-hmm. Ellen actually had a sitcom, and yep. Ellen's character and herself uh, came out on the sitcom as as gay. Yeah, and her show got canceled because of that. Uh, Yeah, that's called um Murphy Brown. The show got canceled because Murphy Brown became a single mom. Like, I know it's crazy to hear this stuff now, but during that time, like, I feel like those kind of issues people weren't as open about. But I do feel like when it came to some of the things that people are very uh, like, let's do cancel culture about now, I felt Mm -hmm. like back during that time, would have never happened that would have never yeah. dave chappelle the whole like cancel dave chappelle that would have never happened yeah
2: like,
0: yeah like no, i watched right. the chappelle show and i'm telling you guys if people are offended by what dave Chappelle sta- saying in his stand-up then don't watch chappelle show which is older than his stand-up and i thought some of the things in chappelle show was pretty crazy so you know don't watch that like some of the things i saw growing up watching shows like in living color like you could never do today. So I felt like in some ways people were were open about some things, but in some ways they weren't. But also we didn't have social media back then.
12: Yeah, like, and I just think, you know, it's really interesting. I definitely feel like this idea of like council, it's just the idea of council culture. It's even like, again, so the example of like how people keep trying to claim, oh, anti, like this person's anti-Semitic because they're sharing their perspective that doesn't go along with, you know, I guess, the mainstreams or whomevers. I just think it's just a form of censorship. And I think that's what we are so blatantly seeing. Like, it's just this effort to censor, you know, the opinion that is the opposing of the majority. And I think that is actually what's very dangerous, because it means that like freedom of speech is just an illusion, right? We don't really truly have the freedom of speech to speak on whatever your perspective is. Like, even when, like, Mark Lamont Hill, when he lost his commentating position on CNN, um, when he voiced his perspective on Palestine um I, I like some years ago like that was alarming um even then because it's like well wait a minute like if you know someone isn't over oh, when you spoke as the UN about you know his uh view on Palestine just because someone has this perspective is that a reason why he should lose his like his you know his yeah. job that doesn't make any sense and so I think what's just been going on unfortunately is that um and I know and this especially when it comes to Black voices in media, especially, or just if you are a Black person, period, whether it's in academia or such and such. I think with, you know, Cornell West, one thing I really respect about him is that because he's so intellectually astute, no one can sit. and that's why you see how even when he's going on these shows where maybe like, okay, you wouldn't think that like someone would be friendly to his perspective, whether if he's on Fox or whomever. Because of the way he presents himself and he's a non-threatening person, obviously, like, but, he, but he's just, I think that's, even, I wouldn't be surprised if see why he's this old brother and brother, like he uses that terminology. It's because if you think about it, if you are an intelligent black person, that is perceived as a threat, um, unfortunately, at times to like when you are dealing with particularly white people or just particularly folks who I think are of the establishment, that, that can be very threatening, even though it shouldn't be. But it absolutely can be. So I almost feel like he uses the whole brother and brother to disarm people.
0: And I'm not saying that,
12: like, that's defensively what it is. But I think there, it has a way of disarming people in a sense where, okay, like, it's not, so therefore when he's really speaking to whatever his perspective or his opinion is, um, and he's obviously, like, you know, he's an intellectual who's published and everything, like, you can't really kind of, like, sit there and try and just cast aspersions on it or just disregard it because, no, this is coming from someone who, you know, is well-respected and well-regarded. And also he's not threatening in terms of like how he's communicating as well.
0: Yeah, I, I think so too. And I, I just think that um, it's it's really hard for people to take it in some kind of way. And, it, and then another thing too is like, I want to mention to people like, obviously there's very few like black people in left independent media. Mm-hmm. And even those that are highly educated um, and have a lot of experience in the political space, are still kind of looked at as though they're either not as intelligent as their white counterparts. And, and, you know, we made this joke about this before, like JB and I've talked about this before. When I first started watching left independent media, it was mainly white men that were in this space. And then later on, Kim Iverson started the show, right, during the Bernie movement. But it was mainly white men. Mm-hmm. They weren't required to have all these credentials. Nobody said to Kyle exactly. Kalinske, hey, uh, you don't have experience in electoral politics. Why are you doing this show? Nobody said exactly. to him, like, you didn't go to Harvard. You didn't, you know, you don't have these, all these, he went to college, but you don't have all these academic credentials. Like, nobody said that to him. But when you look at Black people in the space, like for RBM, when we came into the space and there were people pointing fingers like, oh, you know, and what what experience do you have? And like, I'm the only one, at RBN that has a collegiate degree. Like I'm the only one that has a bachelor's oh, wow. degree, the only okay. one that has a master's degree. Okay. But the point that we wanted to make is that you don't have to be you know, college educated to fully understand the grasp of electoral politics mm-hmm. and the political space, not just, just in this country, but in the entire world and the effect on its people mm-hmm. and all the players that are involved. You don't have to have that. You don't have to, you know, be an author. You don't have to be like a Norm Finkelstein. Like you don't have to be, um, a Glenn Greenwald and these guys do great work, but you don't have to have that experience to just get it and understand like what's happening around you, particularly if you're coming from those communities that have been targeted.
12: No, you, you make such a great point. Um, so just to share a little bit, like, so I, so I have my, I'm, trained as a clinical psychologist and so and i typically like in in the work i've done like i've always been using like the only black person or one of the few black people in the systems i've worked in and so you know you are very accurate i think in saying that like in terms of just i think in any kind of you know um i guess maybe space where if you are speaking to, I think, the, the, the issues or the ills that you kind of see that, that you're observing, like, no, you can speak to it just through lived experience. Like, that is actually a thing, right? Like, or I think in this day and age where we have access to so much information, like, through, like, the internet and just being able to, like, you know, just do adequate, like, you know, research um, that, yeah, like, you can learn without actually having to go to college. Um, you can learn about politics really by just, again, like, being able to, OK, you're consuming, like, you know, news from different perspectives. You're forming your own your own viewpoints on that. But then at the same time, no, you're actually also making sure that you are you have a solid understanding and grasp of like specific, like, you know, historical you know topics or, or political issues or historical topics or things like that. And so, yeah, that doesn't mean that you actually have to have because one thing I've kind of realized is that um, I do think with um, college education at times i think unfortunately it can also be in a way where it's meant to indoctrinate and people don't ever really kind of and i say indoctrinate, not necessarily where oh uh, okay like where everyone is supposed to think the same but i remember like when i was pursuing my graduate education it's simply by having a different perspective you know um it's almost like as if you're viewed as an other or whatever and not in a good way and so it's not necessarily where okay there sometimes is that freedom to like be able to think um, in a manner that is a bit more, like, outside of the norm, outside of the box, and to articulate that, if anything, you know, that kind of will get shunned, because, like, I remember very vividly, Um, this was, like, back in 2009, but I had a professor who, she had the audacity to talk about, oh, is our country colorblind now that we have a Black president? And I've made it very clear, like, no, we are not, this country will never be colorblind, just based on historical, you know, aspects of, like, you know, uh, just what, this country was founded upon. Um, and also, I mean, we now see that Barack Obama now these president, you know, he basically is now being subjected to like, you know, um, a significant number of threats, you know, uh, from the, you know, from white supremacist groups. I mean, that's, there's been a clear documented increase in that, you know, with his candidate, with his you know, presidency that now, I mean, there's thing nothing colorblind that could never be the case. And so it's just, I just think that, you know, um, anytime when you are speaking, I think like kind of treat the power on something or just, hey, like you're speak. speaking, people really are, are bothered by that or it's like they don't fully want to understand it. So, and I think especially like in this space, like the space that you're in. Um, and I also think about like Tim Black, like he was actually the very first Black, um, I think kind of like political commentator that I started watching on YouTube like years ago. I think this was around the whole Bernie uh, movement. And so um, I remember like when, you know, he was kind of supporting Bernie. And one of the things I kind of, I remember kind of bringing up was like, hey, like he doesn't really support reparations or whatever, which obviously it's I wouldn't mean. benefit from reparations, but I always would say like, I would consider myself an ally to that because that was an issue. I think that was, you know, raised by um, Evac Cardell. And so I used to like really pay attention to Evette Cardell back then. And so that was something I was absolutely in agreement with. And so I remember um, kind of once putting that in his chat and he was very dismissive of it. And so it's just interesting to see how, like, I think with kind of the whole 2020 cycle, you know, kind of what happened and he kind of has been a bit kind of cast aside or whatever, I think, from like more of the like democratic, you know, kind of that independent like wing or whatever. So now he's been talking more about like, you know, some of those issues pertaining to black people. But I've also, I've noticed that I think when you are someone who you're in those spaces, as you know in some of these political spaces that were like democratically aligned because I actually back in like 2017 I went to the uh Democratic National uh committee meeting that they had in Atlanta because I was living in Atlanta at the time and I actually did volunteer for Pete Buttigieg when he was running for DNC chair Like, actually volunteered for his campaign because I had a colleague of mine who went to Harvard I think with him around the same time that he had been there and so she'd asked me like hey do you want to volunteer for his campaign so i was like all right yeah sure whatever So I had the opportunity to meet him and his partner um, at the time. And I do agree, like, he definitely came off very, like, fake. He didn't really seem authentic to me. Um, It's the same thing even a little bit with um, uh, Stacey Abrams or whatever. Like, Stacey Abrams, (laughs) I met her. Yeah, because at the same time, she was also running for governor. So she was there at this meeting. But I actually had attended one of her meetings. she had some kind of like you know community kind of talk because like she was a, a state representative in georgia at the time and so she was and so people were asking her like was she gonna run for governor Is she hadn't even announced so um yeah so it's just very interesting just kind of being in that space and kind of seeing how you know i remember you know i remember i think like when there was a whole session that happened and it was where there you had a wing of the democratic party that kind of was bringing us up where hey we don't want to accept you know money from these packs you know these large corporate donors and then you had the other wing that was like no 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 we're not going to pass the amendment to support that we don't agree with that you know they but they couldn't ever really speak to well why do you need to accept all that money and so that's when i kind of my eyes were really open to oh i see what this is some bullshit. like so clearly it's not really like you you're cool with being beholden to you know these outside influences for whatever reason like you know due to money like you're actually okay with that and it just seems like, you know, when you're in some of those spaces, you know, when you are around um, some of these folks who are, like, in these, like, sectors, like, you know, who are the, kind of in these, like, so-called liberal spaces or, like, left, you know, spaces, um, it's almost like as if you can't kind of enter that space and be able to kind of discuss, you know, issues that are, like, relevant to race, right, because they'll lump in everything as, oh, it's not just race, it's also, you know, this issue and that issue, and not to say that it's not, but at the same time too, um, it doesn't mean that as a black person, I have to speak for everybody else's stuff. I can, I can have my perspective on it, but at the same time, I can also speak and I should be able to speak based on the issues that are relevant to me. And that may not really be necessarily relevant to every other person who might be considered a part of the left, if that makes sense, or who might be considered maybe progressive or whatever. So I just think there, we have to learn to get to a point where we can all have like Perspectives that don't necessarily all have to be exactly aligned because there might be different things. I might have a completely different perspective on than the next person, but that's also okay too. And I just kind of hope at some point that we can kind of get to that space where it's okay to agree to disagree. Because um, that's one thing I always have respect about these, about what Matt Gates did. Um, I, it's really clear. It was always very clear to me with AOC that, that, that bitch was a fucking fraud that like she was never about anything with the exception of, I think she wanted to give you the, the appearance of, oh yes, I am someone who's going to fight on behalf of the people, but just because you're causing ruckus, but are you actually getting shit done? Like, what are you really getting done that's going to benefit the people? And I think, you know, as folks who if we truly consider, to consider ourselves to be progressive, it's like, we have to really be willing to hold people accountable, um, but- for not doing what they, what we want them to do.
3: Here's here's another thing to consider. Um, And, you know, I speak in that same space because not only am I black and not only am I over the age of 50, but I am of trans experience. So I know exactly what you mean in terms of entering these spaces and being the only one of your kind and then having your perspective or opinion in a way diminished or devalued because you're different. But what that speaks to is what this country has always been about. And the more we learn about the entire structure, the more we understand how our presence and our voices have never really been welcomed to the table. And that is why, you know, social media and independent media has really been a disruptive Presence in terms of the administrative state controlling the entire narrative, and so you know when social media really came to be a real threat was a real quotient they they realized was powerful was during the Obama um, nomination and era because they saw the power of the internet and how you could reach people in different ways, but they never contemplated that. On the flip side of that is that people can reach you in different ways. And so as soon as Obama got elected, one of the first things he did was disable his whole network because he did not want to hear the voices of the people. So now that we have this social media and different diverse voices can be heard, we understand the fact that that has been a disempowering experience for the mainstream. And so we have the whole allegation of fake news and this and that, and that was really all about controlling the narrative. And so now at this juncture, we're seeing more efforts towards overt censorship because they're trying to control the narrative. But it was much easier to do coming out of the 40s, 50s, and 60s, where we only had three networks and a handful of newspapers. And those handful of newspapers and networks could appear to be more independent and free because they were not at that point corporately owned per se. But once we move into the 70s, 80s and the Bill Clinton era, when they changed the rules and you could have a consolidation of networks, it became more and more easy to for corporate America to control the narrative. And so we're in this space now where you know, they've always used formal education and the lack thereof as a means of devaluing certain voices. But as Sabrina said, people understand what they understand. They may not have the king's English or they may not be the most eloquent of speakers, but people know what they know. And as we learn better, we do better. As we learn, because, you know, for years I was in the Democratic Party in terms of me voting for the Democratic Party, but it's because I never really examined it. I was just being on autopilot. But once I, you know, to my experience, you know, with the Obama campaign, I was canvassing and this and that because it was like, ooh, this first time, you know, to have a black president. But once it invited me into a deeper dive in terms of a look at what was really going on, the more I knew and the more I understood my position on everything became more informed. And so as these years have gone by, I've been trying to share what my enlightening and epiphanous experience has been, but it's not a welcoming thing. And I understand now that it has never been a welcome thing. The diverse voices and diverse experiences which threaten the mainstream And the institutions that have been shaped and formed in this white supremacy, those things have never been open to change. And so when they see it coming, there is a resistance. And so now we see all this. Like I say, it's purely an attempt to control the narrative. And they're using The overt tactics. I mean, they're calling people anti-Semites and like I say, conflating anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism and, you know, just weaponizing woke and this, that and a third, because they're trying to control the narrative for the people who control the nation. And so it's not as easy a project to do as it used to be, but it's very difficult to control you know, the social media and the independent media without some overt censorship. And so now we see, you know, the thing that they were doing with the Twitter files, with the government petitioning Twitter to cancel and shut down certain voices and this and that. It was exposed when Elon Musk bought the whole thing and began to expose the whole thing. But those types of dynamics have always occurred. It's mm-hmm. always been somebody able to shut you down and this and that, but it was able to be more covert. Well, nowadays is it has to be out in the open. Yeah. And so the fight is just all that more acrimonious. But again, the loss of control of narrative is a part of this late stage. um, Empire and the crumbling yeah. of empire. And there, yeah. there's a sense of losing control. Yeah, absolutely. No, I,
12: I definitely agree with you on that. Like, I, And I definitely hope that this, the empire does crumble, like it fully crumbles because the way everything is kind of going now, it's just, I don't see how um, there's just not, it's almost like even what's happening with uh, what's going on, you know, in, in Gaza, it's really clear that um, there's no one who's, we don't really have anyone, like there's no cooler heads that are prevailing. Like there's, there really isn't anyone here who's kind of thinking clearly as to, you know, really what are the repercussions of, of what what, what we're doing here because if you're acting on behalf of like the military industrial complex and you know it's very clear that obviously like the us wants a war right but like are we really kind of thinking about the greater loss of life are we really thinking about okay how is this going to make you know the us actually less safe at some point in the future because you you know potentially like folks could be radicalized at some point because of just the fact that their homes and their lives are being upended and destroyed by these bombings. And, and actually, they're the ones who are truly victims of all of this. Um, no thought being given to any kind of diplomacy whatsoever. It's just so much warmongering going on. And so, yeah, I do think, you know, um, we're definitely on a decline, um, which I think is a good thing. But then it also makes you wonder, but how much more suffering is going to continue for it to like really truly crumble? Um, and I think that's the part that's concerning about it, because I just hate to just be aware of all the suffering that is going on, especially um, just globally because of how the U.S. consistently intervenes in every other country's affairs, um, but then somehow wants to act like they have this moral authority, moral high ground to so then speak on behalf of democracy when this, we are not in a democracy in this country at all. I mean, if we were truly a democracy, I would love to be able to have a say in how my tax dollars are being spent. That's what really rubbed me the wrong way. In European countries, they at least have the ability in some of these countries to be able to, okay, you see kind of line by line, like, how much of your money is going to, to to fund what we don't get that opportunity here in this country it's not really well known because i think if we knew like how our tax i mean truly line by line how much of our tax dollars is going to fund this or fund this or fund that i really do think you might see some uproar in terms of like yeah no this isn't okay because i think we the people have so much more power than we're willing to exercise it's almost like in this country we have just been kind of like lulled to sleep by like the bad food like you know the dumb shit on social media that people watch that just kind of allows them to be brain dead, the video games, whatever, like the stupid music that doesn't mean anything, like a lot of senseless music. We have
0: really been lulled.
12: It's
3: entertainment that's doing us in. That's the big, big distraction. That's the bread and circus. So while they're busy moving the military industrial complex and funding wars we're watching Beyonce and twerking and who wants to marry a millionaire and all of this type of nonsense. (laughs) And and I know that firsthand because when I began to dial more into politics and understanding what's really going on, it takes time to do that. And you definitely cannot watch all the TV and participate in all the the, this, that, and a third because it takes energy, especially when you're relearning or unlearning something Mm -hmm. that has been programmed into you. And as you try and sound the alarm, people just really don't want to hear it because people enjoy, you know, all of the, you know, thinking everything is going well.
12: You know why it's like that though? It's because uh, the American people, we have, I mean, have truly been fooled into thinking that somehow it's normal to like kind of the, the suffering, right? The economic, you know, struggle that's going on where, you know, you're working more, you're working more, but for less. Um, and you're not getting the benefits you used to get maybe like 20, 30 years ago, but you're, you know, maybe like doing like, whether it's driving Uber or you're doing whatever in order to try and make ends meet. So just to live in this country as is at this point, um, it's just not really economically feasible, especially if you're working class. Um, because yeah, you're not going to have the time to really then kind of maybe pay attention to like, what's really going on, you know, um, whether it's, you know, within our country in terms of like, you know, just whether it's the news and keeping up with that or like the political situation instead you'll be more susceptible to being spoon-fed the information which is what they want I mean it's really clear that critical thinking is definitely on the decline and has been on the decline for quite some time um, because of the accessibility of just like just with all the technology but then also you know the fact is that people just were more likely to move through autopilot and then with all the technology you know the way our brains are being structured being um, kind of structured it's really to kind of kind of chunk information and to process it that way instead of actually really examining like piece by piece something to better understand it and so we've been pro we've already the the program has already been happening like actively and we're at a point now where it's like you know unless if we can kind of learn how to disconnect from some of it um it's going to continue to be a problem and i think that's where you know i just feel like uh It's, yeah, I mean, people really do have to take the time to just really educate themselves on the issues and not to pay attention simply to just what the mainstream media is feeding you.
0: So, Well, one thing I want to say, too, um, I remember back in the day, I used to actually like spend a lot of time watching reality TV. Mm -hmm. And I I do feel like all those hours I would just sit and binge reality TV, I could have been out just living my own reality. Yeah. And not watching someone else's reality, which, by the way, reality TV is fake anyway. Like one of the things my husband pointed out one time, he was like, how is it that in all these reality shows, no one stumbles over their words? No one misspeaks. No one like has like it it just he said, that's not that's not reality. No, it's not. So what that means is that the producers of these shows and the cameramen and all that kind of stuff, if someone does mess up, then they go back and do another take. So it's still like it's it's not real like it's there's still like some scripting that goes in it. I found out I, I remember I used to watch the show called The Hill. Oh yeah, yeah. TV, mm-hmm. And it was revealed like years later after it wrapped up that even The Hill was scripted. Like yeah. Laguna Beach, The Hill, like that yeah. stuff wasn't real. So the thing is, is like the the actors revealed like the producers would come to us and say oh don't you want to you need to go to this party or go to this thing so it was still scripted same thing with mtv's the real world after that first season of the real world where it was the real world new york and it was eric nice and like all Mm of them yeah after that it became more manufactured and it became more commercial and so they did make it more scripted and that was another thing that came out later on from other um Other like guests from the real world, where they reveal like the producers would come to them and say, "Here's some money. Don't you guys want to go out to this bar and and do all this kind of stuff?" Mm -hmm. So they were basically like telling them what to do and where to go and things like that. And then, so you know, the the thing is, is like doing like doing this show. Like for example, I have to read a lot. Like, and that's the part that people don't see. They don't see the prep work that goes into it. Like, I read a lot of articles. I've obviously read I've read a lot of books, but if you are really knowledgeable about history, that really helps doing this type of show. If you're doing a political news show, it really helps if you know your history. Because you'll notice this, like people who are talking about Israel and Palestine, if they're only just talking about it from the perspective of what happened October 7th and they're not talking about the history in general, that's probably because they don't know the history or they didn't read about the history or Either they do know the history, but they don't want to get into it because they don't want the pushback from other people. So the thing is, is like with all these conflicts, you have to do that. Uh, Regardless, like any type of foreign policy, like when we talked about Russia and Ukraine, it was really important to go back and like, let's talk about the history and how we got here. Because it's important for people to get that. Otherwise, people will just focus on the here and now and they won't understand how the here and now actually you know, took place to begin with. So that part is very important. You have to study history. You have to know history.
3: And, and you know, Sabrina, that makes it crystal clear to me in terms of the historical context of how Israel came to occupy Palestine, the people who, the, you know, the the Western states that made that reality knew that it was not a legitimate thing at the time, because like um, your interview with Kim Iverson, when she was sharing that the whole effort to create a space for um, Jewish people in in what was Palestine was already on the move before the Holocaust even came into fruition. Mm -hmm. And that they were very, and and most, some of the people who were integral to that process We're not even really religious. Yeah. You know, and they were not into that aspect of it. But that tells you how the narrative of Israel has the right to defend itself. Israel has the right to defend itself. That is the propagandizing to control the narrative, to put at the front of everybody's mind. Israel has the right to defend itself to prevent you from questioning. The whole existence. And these people who are pushing that narrative, they know how Israel came to occupy Palestine, but they don't even want you to question it. So the first thing they put at the top of mind is Israel has the right to defend itself. Israel has the right to defend itself. So to people who don't know and are not curious to learn the history, they start from there. And that's why all the major media narratives is starts with israel has the right to defend itself so you won't question israel's existence as it occupies palestine and then what happens to palestinians and other peoples in israel is just you know a second thought or aftermath but they they demand you accept that israel has the right to defend itself because if you begin to question how israel came into existence the whole thing about Israel having the right to defend itself dissipates because the real question is, does Israel have the right to occupy Palestine? Exactly. That's the real question. And so, That's right. you know, th- the whole idea is to um, delegitimize the people who are resisting the occupation. That's mm-hmm. just like you said, back in the day, the America never would have supported the, the rebellion in Haiti because they were like, these are slaves, these are property. They don't have the right to do that. Just with Nat Turner. Oh, that was a rebellion. Nobody frames that as this was resistance. This was people fighting for their freedom. And when you criticize the means that these people use to fight for freedom, you can't put it on the same moral par as the occupiers because you've left me no choice. The people tried to march to the the gate and remarch into Israel and they were shot down. So you leave me no option. And when you take away peace and stuff as an option, all I have left is violence. Mm -hmm. And then when I move violently, you call me this, that and a third. But you never deal with the fact that this came as a result of the conditions that you control and you subjected me to. So it's mm-hmm. just and like when, the, like I say, when the UN um, man—I can't think of what his name is—but when he said, "Oh, this didn't start," you know, with October seventh, oh, it was a pushback because the 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 powers that be dare you to look at the history and start talking about it because then the whole narrative unravels. But that's why every time I hear Israel has to the right defend itself. It just almost makes my flesh crawl because my question is, does Israel have the right to occupy Palestine? That's do the question. Do they have
12: the
0: right to exist?
12: Yeah, because it's like, do they truly have the right to exist? Um, and I just I really appreciate everything you just said, Noel, because I, it's almost like there's been this other that's been going on with the Palestinians. Um, and that's I mean, we, we know that's been going on ever since Israel has been in existence in order for that to, to support the fact that, that they exist as a state. But it also, I think, really shows you how in alignment like the West is with Zionism, um, unfortunately, which I find it so bizarre because if you think about even how this country was founded technically, like, you know, if you think about the Revolutionary War, you're thinking about, okay, so, you know, this idea of no taxation without representation, you know, fighting against the British in order to eventually, like, you know, have their own, you know, the colonies to gain their independence, whatever else, Um, you know, even though, you know, because at some point, you know, you had folks who came to this country, these Europeans who were actually like, some of them were indentured servants or whatever at some point. So I just, I just always find it so interesting that, you know, how people feel so removed from really, like really truly understanding the historical context of things um, in terms of how, like, you know, in terms of oppression and, oppression in and of itself that's what's happening with the palestinians and it's not just based on you know the fact that they're arab i mean I, or you know like their religion um and that's why i think how the the Isra- israelis constantly weaponize the holocaust to me is really messed up because the holocaust did not just only involve you know the jews being killed you know many different groups of people were killed during the holocaust i mean m- many different groups of people were killed during the holocaust and so I just find it interesting how like, you know, just in better understanding the history as to kind of how Israel came to be that, you know, all this was a plan all along just to kind of, you know, prop up, you know, this kind of like country that, you know, was basically being backed by the West to remain in the Middle East in order to basically be in support of like the U.S. you know interest all along. Um, and I think that's what hopefully needs to like, be, I think that does need to be wiped down. People need to start really pushing back against this idea of anti-Semitism anytime you speak about the historical context. Like, no, that's not anti-Semitic, you know, to speak about the historical context of how Israel came to be and how this is really why you have a Hamas. Like, that's, I mean, Netanyahu purposely propped the Hamas, you know, in order to make sure that they were in opposition to the Palestinians being able to actually have some kind of peaceful resolution in some way, because it was never about that especially with, you know, how right-winged he is. So, yeah.
0: That's right. That's right. Uh go ahead, Roger.
4: I was just going to say tagging on to uh, what Noel said of uh, remember what uh JFK said at his uh, Inaugural address, those who make peaceful revolution impossible make violent revolution
3: inevitable. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Somebody should say that to RFK Jr. And, you know, I want to make I want to clarify one point when I question Israel's occupation of Palestine. Let me put a fine point on that and say I am not questioning Jews right to exist because there were people of Jewish faith who were in Palestine before this whole thing turned into an occupation. Mm -hmm. But what my real question is. Do Palestinians and people of Arab descent have the right to equally coexist in that space? Mm-hmm. And when you really look at what's going on with this Zionist thing, it is a deeply racist project. Yep. Because we're not saying do Jews have the right to live side by side with um Palestinians and Arabs and people of different backgrounds in a co equal democracy. What we're saying is the Jews have the right to come from anywhere on the planet and come and live in Israel and they get to be first-class citizens and everybody else is second, third, fourth, and occupied. That's what's really going on over there and nobody is talking about it. So the reason, a part of the reason they don't want to incorporate or reincorporate or re-enfranchise the, um, Palestinians is because of the numbers. They don't want Palestinians to be in the majority and they're afraid that, you know, Palestinians would turn around and do for them what they've done for them. So, but the issue is can we all live together? And to say or suggest that you can create a nation where one group of people from a certain ethnic thing gets to occupy that space as premium and primacy. And everybody else has to have second and third class citizenship in terms of the if you don't have freedom of movement, you have no agency. You have no agency. The slaves can lead a plantation. The Palestinians can't leave Gaza and the West Bank and what other areas they have been sequestered to. So this is what we're talking about. Can people live together? no no race of people no religious group of people has a right to establish a space and exclude everybody else especially in the 21st century when the migration patterns have been all kind of everything so that's my problem i'm like these people should be able to exist as equal citizens with equal rights but you know it i just
12: oh i just- I I feel like honestly though we're it's because of everything that's happened, um, I almost like it's just so far gone from that point of where um, it really is going to have to be. I think the Palestinians, um, hopefully with support from other Arab countries, will truly, and maybe that's what this conflict that we're currently seeing, hopefully that will help bolster that, where um, they will truly kind of, you know, stand on behalf of the Palestinians and fight back against the West, actually, because just with everything that's going on, um, I don't, there is no coexisting. Um, with Israel, especially not under Netanyahu's uh, reign as uh, the, prime, you know, the, the current leader of Israel. Like, that's just not going to happen. Um, and I just, and I do think maybe obviously most Israelis there, like, I'm not saying most, but the ones who are not Zionists, I'm sure that they would have no issue with that. But I think unfortunately with just how everything has happened, um, it would have to be something where like, you know, Palestine needs to have its own separate, you know, like they need to get their land back. I mean, and even if it's not. All of it, but definitely where no, it's Palestinians who can govern themselves, who can have access to the resources for themselves, who actually can have a government that is like for themselves. Um, and then if Israel is still to exist, then okay, then they can go do their own thing. But I think what we're, I think what you kind of um, has shown in your in your show like uh, earlier this evening, savvy was that the fact that Israel is even trying to further expand their to- their territory and how that is such a threat to the rest of the Middle East. Um, yeah, these other countries actually need to step up on behalf of, you know, Palestine and fight back because, yeah, like I'm, I'm, at this point, it's like, well, that shouldn't be allowed to happen. The fact that, you know, Israel can behave, can behave anyhow. And then there's they don't have to answer for anything because they're being backed by the U.S. I mean, that's a joke in and of itself. Um, and I do think that, you know, if if it seems like you know what the U.S. wants is war with, uh, you know, Iran and, um, you know, uh, I guess with Lebanon and whoever else, then yeah, maybe they need to get, they need to get whatever they think that they're they're asking for because I think at some point you, you can't win everything. Like, I, so I've worked in the VA. I've worked with veterans. Um, war and the cost of war psychologically on, like our our military is just not up to par. <laughs> like, like, we're not up to par. I don't see how, I mean, yeah, I know we now have like drone warfare. So maybe whatever, like that would be beneficial in some sense. But At the end of the day, um, if you are expecting to have to use like our troops to like, you know, shift over to, you know, a different region um, in order to fight on, you know, on their front, I don't necessarily see the U.S. being able to really win that um, at all at this point. Um, And I just also hope, you know, that if that is something that has to happen, um, I, I would hope it would not have to. But at the same time, too, like, I just think that, you know, I really do hope the Palestinians and the rest of the Arab world will rise up against. You know what's happening here because at some point like you know it's just enough is enough especially what's going on with the constant
0: bombing of the palestinians so linda all right well let me um bring in linda let me invite you to be a speaker and just so i can move into the other some other people as well oh sure all right so i just sent you uh invite to be a speaker and neoliberal tears i want to bring you in um for just a second then i'll go to david so if you can just go ahead and unmute. What's going on, neo Tears?
13: Hey, besties. Um, you know, just a, a tough week, I think, for for everyone. Um, so happy to happy to be here with everyone and hear from all of you. Um, you know, I'm still thinking about what Noelle was saying. Um, it's funny. Actually, I called in to talk about reality TV because there's a show called House of Villains, um that I'm really I'm really enjoying. I mean it's great distraction. I mean um you know New York, um, isn't it? Uh Tiffany Pollard, um Omarosa. Uh um, I know, I know. Okay, well, but, but <laughs> she stay
0: that's away, been. Huh? she don't stay away.
4: <laughs> House of Villains, that sounds like it could be um like a, a Washington D C show.
0: Well well,
4: <laughs>
13: Lots of villains to go around. There's um, also Anfisa from 90 Day Fiance. They just like, they gobbled together all of these like classic reality TV. But but regardless of that, um, Noel was talking about, you know, um, Palestinians and Jewish citizens of Israel having equal rights um, under one secular democracy uh, with equal rights for all. And that's been uh, Edward Said's uh, entire... Uh, thesis, like, you know, he wrote, and I, I just posted it in the chat, he wrote an article for the, for the New York Times called The One State Solution, um, you know, laying out exactly why, you know, if if we believe in democracy and equal rights, regardless of race or religion, it's the only solution. And I, I mean, part of why something, if someone like Bibi doesn't want that to happen as, as Noel was saying, is that he sees Palestinians as a demographic threat. You know, it's almost like a voting rights issue. Like he doesn't want, he knows that if Palestinians could vote in a real democracy with Jewish people, one person, one vote, they would be the majority. Mm. And, and, but they deserve to have a vote. They, you know, they deserve to choose a government. And the two-state solution, I'm sorry, it's a Zionist concept. Like from the get-go. Like, you know, it was this idea we're gonna give you this little piece of land over here. But you can't go to Jerusalem. You can't go to your home you were kicked out of in Haifa. You could you can't like, you know, that's a that that's still gonna be Israel. That's a separate country. You can be over here. So I just I really encourage people to read that article I posted. Um if they still think about the two-state solution as a uh, viable thing, it's not
0: okay. That's really where is that? Um, where is that neoliberalist? Did you put it in the chat? That article? Let me see. Oh, I see. Just, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a
13: great, and he wrote it. He wrote it like you know, Edward Said, he's an academic, but he wrote it for the New York Times like very clear. Like, it, it, it I, I read it like. I read it. I read it a lot, and it's you know every time I read it, I'm just it, it's almost like he could have written it today. You know, he was talking about Bibi being in power and sabotaging the peace process. I mean, it's it's insane how very little has changed. You know,
0: that's interesting. What's going on, Dave? David. Testing, testing. Oh, we can't hear you, Dave. Oh no. I'm sorry, we can't hear you. Go ahead, Roger. We'll wait for Dave.
4: Um, I was gonna ask Linda something, and, and go ahead. I forgot what it was. She she was uh, oh God, that escapes me.
12: <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help you with that one. Wait, Roger, are you you're um a part of RBN, right? No. Oh, you're not. Okay, okay. Okay, I was going to ask a quick question, Sadie, because I'm based in the D.C. metro area. So I was just because when I was looking at the website for RBN, I noticed there isn't like a northern VA or D.C. chapter. And so I guess I'm curious about if, you know, I'm wanting to get involved to be just to learn
0: more, (coughs) you know, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so the idea was for us to start chapters in our own cities first and then to push for you guys to start chapters where you are um so i think like after the end of this year because i have another event so does jb um and then we go into the holidays so after the holidays i think i want to sit down and i do want to do that um that meeting with people who are interested in starting their own chapter and showing you guys how to do it okay yeah all right yeah because we do have another event um coming up in november so, um, Dave, Dave, I'm going to invite you to speak hon. I think there's something wrong with your mic. Cause I think this happened last time, uh, too. So I invited you to speak. Let's go to, uh, Brady, Brady, what's going on?
5: A thousand things at once are going on, man. I can't keep up with it all. I'm spread so thin, but, uh, <clears throat> we had a meeting today for, this little group from mine, just some random activists from Twitter just got together, decided to start finding a way to experiment with democracy. We came up with a name, which is pretty basic. It's just democracy revolution and um, a mission statement today. And basically the goal is to kind of reformat democracy for the 21st century and giving people a digital space to experiment with democracy and uh, physical spaces as well in all 400 something districts and whether that's kind of like rbn you know like and i'm I'm actually kind of interested in that as well because like i would have started an rbn chapter already if i had the complexion for it but it just doesn't feel right (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) but like there's so many people in texas i'm like where where's where's the activist in texas at i don't understand like we got a plenty of black communities in texas and like honestly i ask around and like a lot of people haven't even heard of you yet like sadly um some people have you know but um y'all are still relatively where, unknown which is a, a good thing because y'all got room for growth that means y'all got room for a lot of room for growth which is a good thing you know
0: where, so, are, you in te- where are you in texas if you don't
5: mind i'm right between san antonio and austin
0: Okay, and so I just got back
5: from, from a show in Houston. So I play shows all over Texas, you know, so I can get little things up and going all over the place.
0: Okay, so you're not far from Delilah then?
5: Yeah, yeah. I think she's in El Paso, actually. Last I checked, I don't know. Maybe she is in San Antonio.
0: She's she's somewhere in that area um, in Texas. So that's someone that would be cool for you. Delilah, um, on Twitter, her DMs are open so delilah would be someone to reach out to because she's an activist and you know she ran for governor and all that kind of stuff but like she's very much involved in like community I be can, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
5: she's already involved with y'all she would be perfect to work with and i actually did an interview with her thanks to you I, I i was introduced to her on your show and i hit her up on twitter just like you said and i called her up and she didn't an interview with me so guys it's that easy like I'm just a random dude off the internet, you know, I'm just one dude, but yeah, uh, Delilah's cool. She's available and there's probably some cool representatives in your local area that might be available and let's let's make it happen. Hit the ground running, so to say. And that's kind of what I wanted to address was the uh, stagnation of the left. It's like, man, like it's really hard to get anything to work with us. And with this democracy revolution thing I'm working on now with Jeff from, uh, he has a website called democracyforum.org, which, you know, back in the ancient Greek days, they that's where they would kind of practice democracy was in a forum, like an open public space where everyone can come talk, see what's going on. And it was a forum. There was like a, a protocol and like a method to it. And I feel like our protocol hasn't really evolved since the age of the internet. So we're essentially trying to catch up democracy to the age of the internet and make it more flexible, make leadership more flexible, uh, more direct democracy, less need for a representative, you know, and like at least just making decisions on our own. So the interesting thing about this project is that, you know, I have my own thing, which is like the proxy party. There's this guy, Dan, who has his own thing, which is like getting town halls started in all the districts and um jeff has his own thing which is the democracyforum.org and even though we all have like our own thing that we're working on and we have like some disagreements that might normally stall and stifle some progress like we're running into all those kind of issues you know um we've recognized that by having like a really nice website where we can practice democracy together anyone can use that tool as a way to make progress in whatever direction they want so this really isn't you know this is totally nonpartisan. you know um we encourage conservatives to use the platform too in fact we hope that it's an opportunity to have more discussions across the platform you know and uh have more debates <clears throat> or dialogue um discourse whatever you want to call it you know I'm, I'm fine with the word debate debate doesn't scare me away i think it's fine perfectly reasonable to have a respectful debate, you know, and some of my favorite people I debate with, you know, regularly. So I don't, I don't consider it necessarily a bad word for me, but, um, I think that having those difficult debates, those difficult discussions amongst the left, you know, where do we disagree? Where do we agree? Okay. We agree on this. Let's make that happen. And then we can use that to kind of, you know, work on what we disagree on later, you know, we'll hash that out in the democratic forum you know, with direct one-to-one democracy and we'll see whose ideas are the best in that way, at least, um, until someone comes up with a better idea. (laughs) But, um, uh, case had a really similar idea. And if he has any ideas or he wants to contribute any, the, the meetings we have are totally open, um, as well on call in anyone's free to join. And that's what we're trying to do right now is just try to get more people involved and, um, Get, I think, at least one representative for every district in the nation is is kind of the goal as far as the crowd sourcing there goes. So no pressure, but anyone who wants to join volunteer, there's, there's room to join the board and stuff there. <clears throat> Jeff is buying a website tonight, and the next meeting is going to be about how we're going to structure this. Like, are we going to do a nonprofit? Are we going to do a 501c7 or 405, whatever? We're, we have no idea how we're going to structure this. So we're we're experimenting with uh, ways of structuring it. And one of the really useful tools for me to kind of keep moving forward and kind of overcome that stagnation has actually been um, ChatGPT and AI, but specifically jailbreaking it so that it doesn't have to adhere to all the rules and limitations that they put on it. But when you jailbreak ChatGPT, it's very good at political strategy And answering those kind of questions, like how do we structure this thing? What is the best way to structure this thing in a transparent way that is flexible and democratic and all that kind of stuff? You can kind of just put these vague questions into chat GPT and you can ask the same question like five times and get five different answers. And I think that's a beautiful thing because at that point you can, you know, take those five answers and take the very best parts of each of those answers and integrate it into whatever you're doing, but it really keeps the ball moving forward. If you get stuck or if you don't have a question, especially when you have legal questions that you might need a lawyer for, that's when it comes in really handy because when you jailbreak it, it's very happy to act as a doctor or lawyer for you, which I highly recommend for everyone. But um, that's just my two cents and my way of fighting back against Cambridge Analytica and Ember Data using their own tools. So. I recommend we use it instead of being used by it.
0: Interesting, interesting. All right, well, thank you so much, Brady. All right, I'm gonna bring in Lee. Lee, you are on the mic. I didn't tell you guys about this um, either. Um, I'm covering an interesting story tomorrow night about Ice Cube um, that is not related to the Democratic Party. But does have to deal with antitrust, and I think you guys will find it interesting. What's going on, Lee?
11: Hi, Sabby. Hey, Uh, how are you? Great, and it's just a pleasure uh, to be able to say hello to you. I've been watching you for a while. I enjoy your your shows uh, tremendously, and you you do a great job. I I think between you and Brianna Joy Gray, you're the two best widespread voices on the internet that i know of but and I, I also i took an immediate interest in you because i went to bu long ago
0: i'm
3: sorry
11: <laughs> well it was okay howard Zinn was my <laughs> teacher and i and i got to know and work with mel king and uh and back then barney frank if you can believe it was an open socialist state representative it was sad to see him uh, go the way he went over the years.
0: That guy totally uh, changed.
11: Oh my god, Lee, unbelievable! Yeah. Lee,
4: yeah, I saw so, I saw Barney Frank at LaGuardia Airport um, <laughs> a couple of years ago yeah. out here in Queens, and uh, yeah, whenever those guys get out of office, they just let themselves go. Like yeah. I was, I was talking to him. And I really couldn't get a word in because I guess he thought that I was one of these people that was like afraid of Trump. Like I had Trump derangement system and he was like talking to me and so on and so forth. And I talked to him a little bit, but then, you know, it's the, the waiter interrupted. It was just like, oh, you can't be over here, you know, whatever the case is. So I was just lied. Right, no problem. But yeah. it was that it, it wasn't at LaGuardia itself. It was at a hotel outside of LaGuardia Airport over on uh, Ditmos Boulevard if anyone's familiar with Queens but yeah I just want to add my two
11: cents Yeah, well, he, he was a great inspiration way back when but then he went to Congress and he got co-opted and just got absorbed by the blob but uh, um, I, I just wanted to um, agree with you about uh, the importance of history and, and that Uh, Not everybody needs to go to college, but everybody ought to have the right to go to college. Even when I was in college, I had professors that were saying, look, don't expect to do well just because you have a college education. However, you know, moving into the future, uh, working class people are going to need a college education. Yep. And, And if you don't have it, and it's not just on history, it's on everything. It's so much easier to bamboozle you and to uh, abuse you with technology and so forth if you don't understand it. And the only way to do that, unless you're really dedicated, is to go to school. So every, every college that's run by a state and every university run by a state should have no tuition and anybody should be allowed to sign up. You shouldn't even have to submit a SAT score uh w- believe it or not, when I was in school, I live out in the midwest and I'm from the midwest but i I went east for school and uh, uh state colleges uh w- in the seventies cost like two thousand dollars a year, and that was tuition room and board altogether <sighs> and uh and again this this is the importance of history when when I've, I've, I'm 65 and I remember when things weren't like they are now, I remember that things don't have to be like this. Corporations have always been the most powerful influence in society and money has, has you know, ruled the ruling class, but they didn't have everything. Uh, things have changed dramatically, and it started with Reagan. And I, I happened to be working in Washington, D.C., in 1981, when the Reagan tax cuts and big defense buildup went. You know, the government used to do things for us because we had strong labor unions. The working class was united uh, on economic issues. And, we, you know, there were all kinds of things that divided us, too. but. Um, People need to, even just understanding the history of the left, how, you know, civil rights, the anti-war movement, and, uh, and the feminist movement uh, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s uh, were very well organized. I mean, when I was in college, and they, they would call a, for an anti-nuclear protest, for example, uh, in Washington uh people from all over the country which so we get 100,000 people easily in Washington DC and I know you've been involved in a couple of uh anti-war and other uh demonstrations uh mm-hmm. where you know it's been very hard to get big attendance and that's that it doesn't have to be that way is all I'm saying that and Howard Zinn used to say, you know, don't feel like you're alone. You know, at the very least, just go out on the street corner with a sign and say you're against the war. And pretty soon somebody else will come up and they're against the war too. And then you start having a meeting at somebody's house. But there are millions of us and, uh, and we should learn from the right, you know, they show up. And when you show up in public, And you say, we are not going to take this crap anymore. Or like the UAW, which has been an incredible inspiration, that is going to be such a benefit for the entire working class uh, uh, with them winning the strike. Uh, And I I used to work in an auto plant. So, you know, uh, I I know what it's like there. And uh, uh, we can do better in our side. Our side can win big victories, but personally, I think it just takes, you know, all of us being united together and saying that everybody deserves a decent living, and we've got to stop being at war all the time. Mm Peace, peace is in the interest of all people. Lee. Yeah. I have to
4: push back on one thing, because you were saying... I've heard that in the eighties when they were saying you gotta get a college education and it did not turn out the way everyone all expected. Because oh, I
11: hear you. it doesn't you turn f- the money.
4: And people don't even work in the field that they went to college for. However, I understand. However, I will say this. I will tell every high schooler, you know what? if you um either learn a trade or if you feel that you have to go to college don't go to college in america study <laughs> abroad for free some that's a great alternative some countries will even pay you to go to uh, their school
10: okay
0: i've been pushing this for quite a while totally I, i'm deep. trying to tell people like if you can go overseas or if you feel comfortable like going to another country to go to school go to school in a country where college is free
4: because yeah. when, you, when you do that and there's a mass exodus out of the country, these colleges here will buckle, go under, and then they'll start going, okay, we'll make it free for God's sake. Please, just please come.
11: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I agree with you totally. I'm not sure that uh, after all the propaganda, you know, they tell people go to college as though college is a vocational school and the the reason mm-hmm. college graduates are dangerous to the ruling class is because you can see through their tricks you know I, with my college degree i got a history degree at bu that's when i went to school and fa- to uh, work in the factories my college degree i i made a lot more money as an auto worker than i did or, or could have as a teacher, for example. Uh, yeah, and but you know what? Oh, sorry. Get other things. It's all right, go ahead.
4: You don't need a college degree to see through people's BS. Some of that is street smarts, and but also, totally just like, just like what Noel was saying before, what we've all been saying before, media and news and information has now become democratized, okay? Yeah. I have had conversations with people and they asked me, did you go to school for polit- for poli sci? I'm like, no, did you go to, did you go to school for constitutional law? I said, no, I went to school for it because mm-hmm. everything that I got, I got off the internet. If someone says something, you know, I like, I just don't go peruse the internet for no reason. Like if someone says something, I'll go check it out and it'll lead me down a rabbit hole of discovering all these other things. You see what I'm
11: saying? Totally agree. Um,
4: On the other hand,
11: uh if you listen, if you are able to find a teacher, let's say who's like Adolf Reed or his son, Turei Reed, people like that, that's a wealth of information and knowledge that you just can't get anywhere. And uh, I wish those guys were, were more frequently, uh, on the internet, um, but you, yeah, but you know, I'm I'm totally agreeing with you. But I'm just saying it's both things I, I, are true at the same time. That's a you that's an expensive
0: I need to invite him back on.
4: That's an expensive proposition to uh to pay all that money to get an Adolph Reed as your professor.
11: <laughs> well, not if not if school's free. Okay, we should all be working for that. And
4: the best way to do it, stu- Tell your grandkids study abroad. Oh
12: well, yeah. <laughs> So one thing I was going to say is that, like, I think at this day and age, if you are going to go to college, you really do need to know what you want to do with that degree. And does it actually economically make sense to do so? You know, what I mean, so I knew, for instance, I wanted to either become an attorney or become a psychologist going into college. So in understanding that, okay, well, I can't do that without having a college education. But if I'm just let's say if I just decided, hey, I think I wanna, you know, instead maybe become like a broadcaster or something like that, or a journalist, you don't necessarily need college for that. So I think it's where like, you know, if I were then to have went and got a degree in communications, I don't necessarily know if that would have been as helpful. Um so I think it's just kind of really kind of having to really think that through, especially because I think now unfortunately it's more of a debt trap than anything. Especially because, you know, you're having to take all these loans to fund it. So
11: Oh I Trust me, I know it took me until I was in my mid forties to pay off all my student loans b u was very expensive back then. Um, nothing compared to now, uh, but still, mm-hmm. everyone should anybody who wants to go should be going to college and learning as much as they can for their entire lives if if they want to uh, Lee education you, is incredibly important Lee, you know what's
4: funny. When you came on here and said, um I it's not when you said I went to be you, I thought yeah. you said I want to be you. <laughs> and, and then I was expecting Sabrina to say, Oh, thank you. But then she said, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like
11: yeah. <laughs> Well, I
0: can see how that can be taken like
11: <laughs> I I that is very that is a very humorous way to look at it. But, uh, and, and I totally understand why she would say that. Um, be when I got there, that was ruled by silver. You did, you didn't work there then. Did you Sabby? When no, Silber I, I from... came
0: in after he was gone,
11: but God, I heard it. He, was, him. I he heard was awful. Yep. We, we, you know, we had, uh, it, it was a different time. It was like the tail end of activism, uh, from the, uh, the, Civil rights and uh, anti-war eras. There, there was a strike. You know, the professors went on strike. The students supported them. The clerical workers all went on strike, and it was a crazy time. But, um, but the experiences made it worth it, and the and the people made it worth it um, uh, for me. And uh, uh, I just think everyone. Should remember that we we all have the same interests. We all want to have enough uh, to live a decent and dignified life. Everyone deserves that, and uh, with a a a uh, a level playing field for everybody, so that nobody uh, is is treated as a second class citizen anymore, uh, and we'll all be better off. Uh, and we can do it. I remain optimistic, even though the past 40 years has been nothing but, you know, our side getting trounced over and over again. Um, And if they don't blow us all up in the Middle East, we'll have a chance to win it all. (laughs) But I think think the UAW strike is the brightest light uh, lately. And uh, we should all not forget to celebrate that, because that will mean a lot to millions. I'm optimistic too, but Sabrina won't let me tell the news
4: because she's doing the show tomorrow. <laughs> you know what? Go, go ahead, go ahead, Roger. Go ahead. No, 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 no. No, do I'll it. I'll let you do your show. I do just wanted, it. To, I just wanted to plug you. That's all. I'm, yeah. doing, I'm I'm filling out the file right now. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna send it to
5: you.
11: Okay. Hey, can I ask you a question, Sabby? Sure. What, what is up with call in? I keep hearing that it's, a, it's going to disappear. I've but been hearing that for still... the past. I've been hearing that for the past
0: two months, Lee. That's why I told people one time I said last call in show because I thought it was disappearing, and then yeah. I realized that the thing was still here. So I don't know. I feel like um, David. Ah, oh, shoot! What's his last name? David Sacks. David Sacks, the guy who started call in. He actually became a part of Rumble, and then we got a notification that Rumble bought call in. So I was just like, ball sacks. And then like the app has just been in limbo since then. So we're, we're just chilling here. Like I said, you know, we'll ride this baby out until we can't use it anymore. And then I'll just use something else. And like, luckily Roger, like actually DM me um, other call call app things that I can use when this puppy dies. So.
11: Well, listen, I, I, I appreciate the chance to talk to you. And I, I really, uh, I just want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. You do great work. And, uh, and I think it's helping a a great deal.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much.
11: Yeah. Gives me hope for the future to see young people like you. (laughs) It really does.
0: Oh, thanks Lee. uh,
11: So I've got to go, but thank you for the chance to say hello. And, uh, and I'll keep watching you.
0: Awesome. Thank you.
11: All right. Good night.
0: Okay, David, I think you're here. I see you. You just got to speak, David. Oh, I don't know. We see your sound is on, but I, I can't hear you. Okay. So you muted and then try to unmute one more time. Hello. Yeah, I'm sorry. We can't hear you. Let's bring in um, Eric. It could be. David, you might have to exit the app and come back in. I had that happen before, too. What's going on, Eric? What's your take on everything? Hey, how you
14: doing, Savvy? Sorry I had to drop off and then get back on, so thank you for taking my call.
0: Oh, no worries. What's up?
14: You know what? I mean, I I didn't get a chance to see the whole show today. I just jumped in too late to listen to everything with the with Cornell. So I, I I only, you know, I, I, I've been trying to catch up. So it sounds like, it sounds like Dow, Peter Dow is out, I guess. And I, you know, so I haven't seen it real time or, or seen anything about it, but, Mm -hmm. you know, we talked, we talked a few weeks ago that, you know, a lot of this won't matter if Cornell does better than we expected him to do. So, or as good as we think that he could do, uh, You know, I I think Noel brought some good points about him not really maybe thinking this through in the way that he came into it. But it sounds like from some of the comments that you made today, too, I don't know if it was you or others were saying that, you know, he's looking a little bit more, uh, more poignant, more strong in his message, I guess, on the on the show that he was on today. And and that's probably a good thing. But, um you know, maybe he just didn't come prepared to do what he's having to do. And and you made some good points about the Green Party that, you know, maybe the Green Party has had all these problems and they just been more brought to the forefront with, with Cornell leaving the Green Party. Maybe that's a part of it. But also I think there's also something that he maybe lacks because he's not a politician. You know, because when you're a politician one of the things that you do have is the ability to navigate through the politics of the inner workings of an organization or a job, whatever you want to put it into. But the better you are at of politics, the better you are able to navigate through that stuff once you get into an organization. Uh, when you're not a politician, it's hard to deal with that. And a lot of times people will just, you know, move away or, you know, leave a job if even you know, for making, making it simple terms, people, p- good people will leave a job if the politics they're not able to navigate because you'll see people that are maybe not the best at doing things, but they're able to navigate through the politics of a job. And they are able to climb up the ladder of that department or organization because they're able to, you know, not rock the status quo and keep, you know, keep within the, the inner workings of that, whatever that entity is. And Cornell doesn't have that. Uh, or does, Maybe that doesn't come natural to him. And, 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 you know, and obviously you could see, too, when he stood up to uh, uh, Harbor and, and when they, you know, they, he stood up to them. Right. In part because he was willing to rock the status quo and, and he was not willing to play politics with, within that school. So there may be something to that, too. I think my only thing that I see with Cornell right now I wish that he would he would be doing more rallies. I wish that he or maybe he's doing them and I'm just not aware of them, savvy? But I know that I thought Nick talked about that a few weeks ago uh that you know by now Cornell should be out there uh you know doing more presentations out in the public. Not not on TV, not on the shows which he's doing a good job of doing that, but more so just out there in front of people. So So I have,
0: so just FYI, I've, I've promoted those every time it happened. Okay. Yeah. Just FYI. Like for example, tonight I promoted, I did two stories about Cornell tonight. um, But the main one was the one that he is going to be rallying with the students at UCLA uh, and the pro Palestine March. So that's, that's one of them.
14: Well, I apologize. I did not, like I said, I didn't see your show completely.
0: Just
14: because
0: I had yeah, yeah. I, I was well, working, so I. Apologize. Oh no, that's that's okay. Let me just finish. Um, but I also talked about um when he went to the climate march in NYC, and he spoke there. I also talked about when he went to the march, um, and the rally for the UAW workers. And by the way, that's that's was one of the things I said. I said if you're a presidential candidate and you're not at the UAW strike with the workers, you're failing. So, like, he he was there. Joe Biden was there for, like, 15 minutes and then left. But Cornel West was there for, for a long time, from what I understand. And then um, the other thing was, I know he did a, a, a webinar with those who are Cop City, for the Cop City activists. So that was another thing. And I feel like I'm missing one. Oh, the one that I went to in D.C., which was the Peace in Ukraine rally. So he's, he's done multiple
3: things. But... But I think what Eric is talking about are the campaign rallies where you go as the candidate like Bernie Sanders did and like Trump did, where the, you're not attending a rally sponsor for some other purpose and you're showing up as a candidate, but the rallies that you create for your campaign. And that oh. is the piece, you know, that's the yeah. piece that is so lamentable because you need a a staff, you need people to do those and orchestrate those types of things. And that's when you begin to look presidential because you get to speak to your understanding of where the nation is and what your policy recommendations would be and this, that, and a third. And that's how you build that momentum. But Bernie had the Democratic Party's, you know, alignment to do that um Barack Obama had that but that would have been where the Hello? green party could have been of tremendous assistance and so yeah. now he's out there so the basically is, by himself do... and you know so what so the
0: thing i do want people to understand is that when it comes to third party and independent candidates you won't see them do that till next year so i just want everyone to remember Remember, Jill Stein didn't even announce until two thousand sixteen, and all her rallies and stuff were in two thousand sixteen. The Democrat candidates they start their rallies early because they have primary in February of next year. That's why. So, for example, with RFK Jr., the reason why his his rallies started as early as they did is because he was still a part of the Democratic Party. He just left the Democratic Party, so just keep that in mind. So that that's one thing to. To keep in mind, like the third party and independent candidates, they usually don't start doing those rallies until the year of the election, not the year before. Because remember, they don't have they're not going through that Democrat primary. So it's it's very different. And then the other thing, too, is that the reason why they don't do it until the year of is because, remember, if you are in the Green Party, Remember, you still have to go through a primary process in the Green Party. Now he's not part of the Green Party anymore; he's independent. But typically, those people don't start doing those rallies until the election year.
14: Do you do you think those those are great points, Savvy? And I didn't think about those. Do you think that maybe there would be an opportunity uh, to do those type of rallies earlier, to just have him, you know, garner more? Uh, support like noel saying maybe more people to get behind them on the ground level would that be
0: you you can but most like i like the thing is most people don't start do like i said like third party independent candidates don't start doing that until election year mainly because of funds like so remember they don't get as much funding and as much money as democrat and republican candidates get so they have to use their money wisely so when cornell west went to dc that required money like remember you got to pay for accommodations you got to pay for travel as well when cornell west went to the uaw uh, same thing obviously he's going to the ucla thing with the students there. all all these travel things like those things those are expenses and i know this because i used to do expenses uh for a company i worked for before and these things add up like One night in D.C. just for a hotel room could be like three hundred dollars. Like I know for me, every time I go to D.C., it is very expensive. So those are things to keep in mind. But what I'm saying is, is that. For someone who's a third party independent candidate, unless you're RFK Jr. right now, RFK Jr. does have a lot of money, but he's taking corporate money. So just keep that in mind. So if you're running a grassroots campaign, you're not going to have as much funding as like someone like RFK Jr. does. So you have to be very careful with your money. So that's why I said those types of things happen next year. Now, Corner West did say that last time he was on my show. He said, we got a lot of a lot of things in store for next year. So that stuff will start next year.
14: Okay, no, that's great. great. I, I didn't I didn't even think about the fact that, you know, since he doesn't have to run in the primaries, he doesn't have to do the same things that. Uh, you know, Bernie or others had to do. In my mind, you know, because I'm, again, I'm going from what I knew. I'm not thinking about the fact that he's independent or or green or just a little bit different. In my mind, I'm thinking he's going to get out here soon, you know, in my area, whatever area that you're in so that we can get behind him and start making calls and whatever. But it's completely different because he's not running through the two parties. So even that to me, you know, I'm going to have to, I'm trying to get used to that. Uh, just not understanding how that works, but you no, know, thank you for putting that out there. Uh, I also wanted to talk about you know these other countries that are now sort of making—I don't know if you call them political moves—but you know, I think Hamas went out to Russia and was meeting with some people in Russia. Uh, some other country uh, presidents have also made announcements about Israel and what they're doing. And all this sort of friction that's sort of uh, coming to a point where it could really spill into a a real war, you know, beyond just Israel and and Hamas. And that's all happening like right now. And I don't think that here in the U.S., you know, we don't think about it because it seems like it's so far. But. I really think that we're probably closer to that than we've ever been in my lifetime. And I I wouldn't be surprised that we get close to it. And hopefully it it won't, you know, mushroom into an actual war. But it is, you know, the wheels are spinning that way. And it's really bad. You know, we don't think about it because, again, it's so far. and, And our media doesn't let us see the truth. But I think that there is this uh, uh, underlying things that are happening right now and we just don't know enough about them. And I just wanted to ask, maybe you could talk a little bit about it or others can talk about it here, but I wanted to get your thoughts on that savvy.
0: About the the possibility of world war three.
14: That and everything, you know, what other countries beyond, you know, uh, Palestine, but all the surrounding countries, what they're doing and whatever moves they're making, how that could lead to that. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I think that um, what people may not understand, and this is something I, I, I've brought up, uh, I think more recently is that I really do believe that the U S government is trying to find an excuse to go to war with Iran. And I think they're going to use Hamas as that excuse now why should we be concerned if that happens if the U.S. government goes to war with Iran then we got to think about allies that would back them up right so apparently of course you know the other western allies like France or whatever like obviously would have the U.S. back that's a given The problem is if the U.S. government goes to war with Iran, then you have to deal with the situation. of We're talking about civilian casualties right now in uh, Palestine. I just want to remind everyone that it is already very difficult for people from Iran to even come to the United States. And it's been that way for quite some time. I've had students... Uh, from Iran, that just never made it here. Not because they weren't smart enough, but because they couldn't get the visa, the student visa from the embassy because the U.S. government is so much harsher on people coming from countries like Iran than someone coming from a country like France.
4: I remember what I was going to ask Linda.
6: Well, say say Linda now. Um, so, Oh, sorry.
0: So it's it's very... Is very uh, frustrating. So we want to talk about like civilian casualties. What I want to say to you is that where are those people in Iran? Where are they going to go? Right. Then you have to think about what the other countries that are around in that area. You got Egypt, you got Jordan, you also have Saudi Arabia. And this is why I keep bringing up Saudi Arabia, because I really do think that at some point, There's going to be a breaking point where Saudi Arabia is going to have to make a decision right now. They got one foot in bricks and they got one foot, you know, as a U.S. ally. And I think at some point, Saudi Arabia is going to have to decide, okay, um, are we going to back the U.S. in reference to a war with Iran or are we going to back
3: our Middle East?
14: Thank you, Sabi.
3: And I think another thing to consider is that this is not going to be ground war. What we're seeing going on in Palestine today is because the Palestinians are limited to those rockets and things. But if this thing escalates beyond, you know, Palestine and in further into the Middle East and and actually escalates into a different scale of war is not going to be ground war It's going to be drones and hypersonic missiles and everything else. And I think what Americans by and large have not contemplated is because of where we are located um, on the planet, we have not really suffered the type of impact of war that other nations have in terms of combat and bombs falling on your land. But yep. if this happens this time, we know there are missiles that China has and and perhaps even, you know, North Korea at this point that could reach the U.S. And, what I'm and we about... see how America was so traumatized simply with 9-11, uh-huh. which I think was an inside job on the low low. But if, if we have bombs dropping in New York, in middle America, in Atlanta, mm-hmm. Cleveland, this and that. Americans would be just helter skelter because we've never seen that type of activity and what it would do to our economy. I really think and I heard a piece Chris Hedges did on the Peloponnesian War and when he talks about empires and collapse. And one of the first things, one of the first signs of an empire in collapse is become they become more given to microaggressions. Because they're trying to demonstrate to the rest of the world that they have not lost stature, but they really have. And they suffer military defeats at the hands of people that they just think they could run over because they have hyperextended themselves. Think about it. America has like almost 800 military installations around the planet. That's a lot to defend. That's a lot to defend, including the homeland, especially when your inventory of things may be depleted because you've been sending them to everybody else. Mm-hmm. so I think it's really we're really in a um a dicey space, and I think if this thing escalates you're you i nobody expects for China and Russia and the other people to just sit by and watch America reorganize the world around itself. It's just not going to happen. And BRICS is signaling that that people are tired of being dominated by the United States. And whenever they get an attitude with you, they can cut you off the financial map. It's just time for us to realize that this really is a multipolar thing. And just like we're saying the Israelis need to be prepared to accommodate and incorporate and enfranchise the Palestinians. America needs to be ready to accept that you don't organize the world organize and, the you, world. Need and you need to be prepared to work with the rest of the nations on this planet yes
9: i do yes. feel like um the united states government is really trash we already know this but what's really been worrying me is yes ukraine and israel but to what i've been seeing with the government they really want to i feel like they keep throwing rocks at russia and china and it's like, I keep asking this question, like, is it an underground world or another planet that rich people can go to? Because they keep, the government, the rich elite keep making to me, I feel like they keep throwing rocks at Rush, like they trying to start something. Because I feel like it's something they're not telling the American people, like, they know our country is failing and I feel that I feel like they know like america ain't what it is and they see people like like they say it's a new world order is about to happen that's why they're getting into these new deals around the world yeah, and that's yeah. what i'm yeah. like nervous of because i feel like when china and russia start shooting shit who gonna pay for it the united states citizen
12: yeah you know just to kind of pick back what you were saying to Yeah, definitely. Um, And I saw someone put in the chat the World Economic Forum. But yeah, I mean, they've been kind of predicting that, you know, we are not going to be the dominant global superpower. And we're really not. It's really China, actually. I think China. So there's like a restructuring that's going on. And so I actually think, kind of, I think it was being said earlier, someone said about how, you know, um, we also, I think as a nation, we need, well, I think just the citizens, we need to be prepared for serious changes that are coming, like I think down the pipeline that are already kind of in motion, but definitely um, are already here. Like we see inflation, hyperinflation that's happening. We see the fact that, um, you know, look, I mean, I know you talk quite a bit about this uh, savvy, but the homeless population, even before COVID happened, I mean, I lived in Atlanta. I, I I saw the sheer amounts of just folks who were homeless living under like highway pass, you know, the bridge overpasses, like on off the highway ramps and stuff like that. And so all of that was actually kind of happening well before COVID. I think COVID just kind of ushered in all of this to where, like, you just couldn't ignore it anymore, but it was there. Like, it's very clear that, you know, the way that our country, I think, has just really allowed, like, the top 1% to just acquire so much wealth, so much resources that have not been, you know, equitably distributed amongst everyone else, um, that, yeah, like, people are really going to be suffering even more than like the current suffering we see. So definitely, I think people need to just be very aware because COVID was a huge distraction. Like I see someone kind of saying before COVID, but yeah, COVID was an intentional distraction. Um, And a lot of the stuff that we see, I think, especially with these um, kind of back and forth with politicians over different things, a lot of those things are distractions from, even I think a lot of the alien stuff that's kind of being talked about because I mean, I think it's real with UFOs, but the fact that they've like done all these hearings on that, I think that's another distraction. Wait, 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 because, wait, wait, you know, re-
14: that's a one good thing. The UFOs, I actually like that, Linda. <laughs>
12: <laughs> no, I like it too. I like hearing about it, but I definitely think they're intentionally using that information to distract the American public for all these other things. that are actually going to really impact our everyday lives. That are, that's coming down the pipeline, basically. But so. yeah. were you going to say something, Roger? There was something you were trying to ask me?
11: Well, one
0: thing. Oh, now Roger's quiet. Go ahead, Eric.
7: <laughs> hey, so uh, Peter Dow's been tweeting. What's Nobody. up? <laughs> so Peter Dow tweeted just a little while ago. I guess to armchair. So this is this is his tweet to to armchair Twitter quarterbacks who keep questioning my motives. Here's a reality check. I saved Cornell West campaign and Marianne Williamson's for that matter, from financial insolvency and complete internal disarray. I created solid infrastructure, stabilized finances, built effective teams, encouraged unionization, and led both candidates to their highest poll numbers in the race. Importantly, Dr. West Tweed's statements and political strategic decisions were entirely his own. And frankly, it's repulsive to suggest a black man of his, of his intellect and stature is not making his own decisions. My only policy role was role to help refine and launch his campaign, <clears throat> written by his policy director, which has received praise from many quarters. People who spew BS about me don't have the slightest idea of the mess I inherited at the Williamson and West campaigns, and the tireless work I did to get both campaigns on track to challenge the duopoly at a toll to my own well-being.
0: Hold on, Another pause. Another fact. Pause. One second. What's that? So well, it's almost done. Well, okay.
7: I'll just get to the end of this tweet. <clears throat> Uh, another fact, my personal beliefs are slightly to the left of both candidates I've worked for in this cycle. Finally, I remain deeply grateful to Jill Stein for bringing me to Dr. West's campaign and to him for giving me the opportunity to support his mission. So I think like he was answering criticism on Twitter it was basically with what preceded this.
0: Wait, I'm sorry. I have to say something. What does he mean, the mess that he... The mess that he inhabited from, Marianne wasn't he Marianne's campaign manager from the right. get go? What is he talking about?
13: And also, like the part where he was like, and I, by the way, I'm I'm to the left of both candidates. Like I'm to the left of uh, Marianne and Cornell.
9: Right. I mean, if he's so if He should be in bed somewhere. He should be off Twitter.
0: Why is he speaking? Wait a minute. Why is he speaking badly about Cornel West? Cornel West didn't speak badly about him. Right. What what does it mean? Like, I'm to the left of both these. Motherfucker, no, you're not. No, you're not. It's like,
13: you know how politicians are like obsessed with their self image and like how they're perceived? Like, that's the only thing they really give a shit about. Like, that's what that reminds me of. Peter just went and made it all about himself. Right.
7: I
14: mean, now- Eric, oh my God, you trigger. And he, what did he say? He said he...
7: <laughs> I, mean, I mean, not not to be like Dow's defense or something, but I think what he's probably getting at are accusations that he's like a, a democratic infiltrator is probably what he's, he's trying to answer there.
14: Yeah, but he's making it sound like he came in with some sort of finance plan to save these guys. And I don't. I doubt that.
0: That's what he mm-hmm. did. What's that? You know, what's he, that? But wait a minute. What does that have to do with him saying he's to the left of those, those people, people, people? And he inherited a mess. Well, that's
9: two different, different things, about him.
0: Him. <clears> What <throat> mess did he inherit? Like, I'm sorry. When he was on the show, he was talking about being professional. Mm-hmm. So, if you're trying to be professional. And you say you don't talk about campaigns after you've been a part of them because you're trying to be professional. But here you are talking about campaigns after you've been a part of them. Right. Uh, I'm about uh,
9: to tweet at them and say, ain't you supposed to be sick? <laughs> no, the, 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 the Tory don't do that.
13: <laughs> I, like, look, it says, another fact, my personal beliefs are significantly to the left. Of both candidates I've worked for this cycle, significantly to the left. Like, who are you, first of all, to say, like, I just think it's such a shitty thing to say, like, I am the left. I mean, that is, yeah, you, Peter Dow, have, like, the king of the left. I'm sorry, we all missed the memo.
0: So now he's bashing both candidates?
13: I mean, well, you can go. Listen, if you wanted to, to just go after Marianne, maybe maybe I'm okay with that. Well, certainly kind
7: of of a fair excited. thing to say about Marianne. <laughs> I, think, I think he just <laughs> right? things to the left of her in a lot of
0: ways. But, 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 he said,
7: but he <laughs> Cornell, out,
0: I mean, who, are, who the fuck are you? Remember he said he's a professional, remember? Yeah. That he's not going to talk badly about a campaign because he's a professional. That's what he said on my show.
7: Yeah, it's not a good look.
9: I see a little hope. I'm glad he gone. Yes, I see a little hope. I'm going to just say this. I see a little hope for Wes. And when he start off his campaign, he need to stick with those college kids because that's where the, you know, that's where the um movement can come from. Like Yeah. What happened to the where- Gravel
13: kids? I mean, yes, that's what I see.
9: Like you know, these the Palestine they um out fighting for um Palestinians and stuff. I feel like that's where he needs. Like I know he headed there. He needs to stay in the arena for a while with the um college kids because they know so much shit and can
14: get him up and running. I agree with the Tory. I, I think there's definitely more hope now, <clears throat> and it's going to get better. I think he he has a better chance without Peter Dow. And, and if he has his own voice, I think it'll be much better. Whatever he's going to do, it'll be better without this guy.
0: Man, pop this dude.
7: I mean, one well, of the things I remember um, I think- Kona West saying was that um, there was like, what probably one of the best things that that happened through all this recently, in my opinion, was the platform getting on there. And it wasn't, in my opinion, a, a perfect platform or whatnot. You know my stuff. I have my own ideas around platforms and things. But it at least was in a good format. It, was, it had a lot of good stuff in it and whatnot. And I remember Dr. West saying that this was, like, done between him and and Peter Dow and another guy. Um, I'd have to look up his name. But and, and he's not a prominent the other guy wasn't a prominent person or anything, but 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 I bring the reason I bring it up is to say hopefully that guy is still in there and maybe we'll maybe we'll have an influence if, if he was had a good influence on the platform. So that's one thing maybe good that could happen. Hey Savvy, I don't,
0: I, I don't. You know what? I'm glad this motherfucker gone. Let me just keep I'm I'm sorry. Excuse my language. Okay. See, I would, this is the kind of stuff I can't say on YouTube sometimes. But I'm glad this dude has gone. Hey, get the fuck out of here. I saved both campaigns. Yeah. I inherited a yes. mess.
6: He sounded like, So
0: much for being professional, you mofo. He sounded like
6: <laughs> Donald Trump. When Donald Trump got elected, he said, uh, when it came to Obama came, he said, I inherited a mess. Yes. That, sounded like, that sounded like Donald Trump. <laughs> Donald Trump said that. I inherited a mess. And then he's like, "I saved both Cornell's, uh, Cornell's campaign and and Marianne Williamson," and he basically put that in bold letters. I'm I'm I'm, I'm reading his tweet, and he's getting body. He's getting called out.
4: And these, and it's not like he did. I,
13: mean, I don't think he saved any of. Them. I mean, it's so delusional. Like it's, cr- it's crazy. Like, but and and it's like, how many, Sabi When you brought up like the whole excuse with his mother, like how many excuses? Like how many times do he think that he's gonna have to have a lot of excuses? Like, oh, my mother-in-law has a thing. Like it's just like he's had to come up with like four campaign excuses. Like, in the but past here's year. the thing.
3: This fool on the internet. He is, we know that he is responding to some level of antagonization from Twitter. So we don't know what has been, what he is specifically responding to. That said, he is right that at the end of the day, Cornell's decisions are his decisions. And so, you know, we really don't know. What the financial or administrative aspects of that campaign were when he stepped in to take over, we don't know what actual work but, but Noel, he has but he's done. Not
13: to the left of Cornell West, and to just even point irrelevant. that out it's is irrelevant.
3: Ridiculous. Whether whether he he's to the that. left of Cornell or not, I think there is this energy to attack Peter Dow. Because of what people want people to Peter feel Dow about Dr. Peter, Peter Dow Dane.
13: was the one terrorizing Twitter, like for most of, most of like 2015 and 2016.
3: But what So this I entire idea that is, he's the victim, Peter,
13: like, Peter you know, and Dow he has PTSD, I think is ridiculous. And Peter no one
3: Dow is not the candidate. So I don't think we should expend all this energy on him and center him. When the reality is this is about West campaign and the decisions he has made, even if you want to argue that Peter Dow was a, a opt and he was coming in on behalf of the Democratic Party. All of that stuff is at the end of the day, Cornell West made these decisions. And so since Peter Dow isn't running for anything, I could care less about all that. If he feels like he's been attacked by the Twitterverse, then he has a right to respond this and that. But I think it's misplaced energy to really be going after him. I mean, if you think he's not a credible character, that's fine, but what, so what does it do to, to, to go into that? We already feel like he's a discredited character, but, he, he but Cornel West made these decisions. But
6: wasn't, wasn't he the one that wow. nudged him in, in, the, in that direction, Noel? Sorry, no, well, what, nudged
7: him in that direction? he nudged
3: him or not, Cornel West, like I said, you must not have thought the decision through to run for president, because clearly, when it was being handed to you by the M- the uh, Movement for a People's Party, you were up for it. When you went to the Green Party, where you had to run for the nomination, you didn't dis- display the discipline to want to go through that process to seek the nomination. Now you're out there on an independent, but these are all decisions you have made. If you're vulnerable to people making um, suggestions to you that turn out to be not in the best interest, then those are choices you made.
7: Well, it's definitely a messy business. Um,
0: Look, man, could, the whole thing is like, mm-hmm. I don't care that he's saying he inherited a Like, that's not the part that bothers me. The part that bothers me is that when he came on my show, he said he was not going to talk about other what happened in campaigns because he's a professional and he didn't want to go there. But now he's talking about that he inherited a mess from both campaigns. So now he has no problem talking about it and the professionalism's gone off the window. So that that's that's my thing.
7: Yeah it's not a good look. I mean he he's-
0: If I was him like I would have never wrote that. You don't write that. Like That's like me, that's like me leaving be, leaving all the other jobs, like other jobs I had in the past and being like, yeah, let me tell you, I inherited. Da, da, da. The only like job I went off about was when I left BU and I said, which, but they had already known this because it was on record, which I told them like, you guys need to deal with the fucking racial issues and they didn't want to deal with it. And so when I left, I was just like, I told them multiple times about the racial issues and they didn't want to deal with it. And what was really funny is that the director of diversity contacted me after I had posted that tweet on Twitter, which apparently went viral. I didn't even know her ass was on Twitter, but whatever. And was like, what can I do to fix it? And I said, what can you do to fix it? You didn't do anything when we were there. Why do you think all the black people gone? So I was like, don't, don't come to me now. When we came to you, you didn't want to do anything. Now you want to do something because it went viral on Twitter? No, get the fuck out of here, man. Fuck that. Anything else, there? Oh,
14: the only thing I was gonna say, I, I think Noel's right. We just gotta get past this. Whatever this guy did doesn't matter anymore. It's moving forward, and that's it. Uh, other than that, you know, I'll, you know, I want to pass it back to Maria. She's been waiting for a long time. So thank you, Savvy. I just,
4: uh, I just say uh, Linda, So, Noel already touched on it briefly Mm -hmm. that our military stockpile has been depleted, giving weapons to Ukraine and now Israel. Mm -hmm. So, because you were speaking about something about war, uh, I forgot what it was. But
7: we need these weapons for. We got all these nukes. Oh God. Well, I mean, who's going to attack us? I mean, I, I think either we're going to be fine, or it's going to be nuclear Armageddon. <laughs> you know it's what I mean? Try to
4: meet uh, people. Yeah, well,
7: you know, that's what well, it is. We're, we're depleted right, now. Right. You know, the Russian army's not coming on shore anytime soon. But you, I mean, as soon as anything serious, I ha- <laughs> yeah, really, as soon as, as anything serious happens, right, the nukes start flying and we're all fucked.
12: But something I mean, to think about, though, seriously, I, I hear what you're saying about the nuke issue, but something that the media is not talking enough about. Hmm? What? Sorry. Uh, sorry I was going to say something that the media has not been talking enough about is that, you know, we actually are very susceptible to cyber attacks and, um, you know, Russia, there are countries that do have the ability to kind of hack into our, like, people can hack into our systems, right? Um, We've had, I think in Florida, I don't know if this was last year, but someone had kind of hacked into their, I think it was their, was it their water system or sewage systems in some town or something um, and was basically kind of increasing, like, levels of certain chemicals or whatever and this is, like, one one of their, like, local water plants, so... Um, our infrastructure is so outdated and so old um, that actually would be the next way. If you really want to like do something or cause harm, um, that easily can impact you know us here. Like, and that could be done really from anywhere as long as you have the, the ability technologically to do so.
6: I didn't think about that. I forgot about the uh, cyber
12: cyber yeah. warfare. And yeah, and Russia definitely, um, and China too. If you think about like you know yeah. like spies you, you... and what. Uh, countries that they, they, they do have the ability to do all this so i and i think also let's keep it real our politicians have sold this out from the standpoint of they're accepting all this money you know um and, to, and also the decisions they're making with regards to you know um like i'll never forget how it's clear biden had to a certain extent i mean like I, I remember i saw something on the media right after Biden i think got elected right before and it was uh someone from china and some well-known official i guess but he was basically speaking about how you know, um, basically they felt that they would be better off with Biden as president. So it just kind of seems like, hey, well, I mean, we don't, I mean, if you think about it, we know Biden is currently kind of being looked at in terms of, you know, his uh, business dealings. And so we, I think as the public don't really know the full extent, I think of some of these business dealings that some of these politicians have with certain, you know, actors from certain countries. And so, um Yeah.
6: That was Trump Trump was messing with China with all those tariffs, and he was hitting them with tariffs, and they were hitting back. So they thought uh, Biden was going to do that part, and Biden just messed up with him. As for what Eric said about the stockpiles, now now you could say now Joe Biden did the same thing Obama did. Obama basically bombed so much he ran out of bombs, and, and now Joe Biden basically used all the stockpiles that you ran out of stockpiles. Yeah, I mean, you
7: got to remember that the per the, like Julian Assange said, the purpose behind these wars is, is never to win. You know, in, the, in these modern wars, the purpose is the money. The purpose is to keep those contracts going. I saw a chart the other day um, that um a white read posted Um the stock prices of like all these defense contractors have gone up like 30 percent or something. And so they're all winning. <laughs> you know, the MICs winning. The billionaires are winning. And that's all they care about. And so this idea of whether we have stockpiles or not, it's you know, I I just think it's a red herring.
3: But here's the thing. um, Every good thing comes to an end at some point. And and we see this is just not sustainable. And so at some point you have to study war no more. I don't care how much the the contractors are getting. This is when you think about it and the industry that America is most notable for is being the largest arms dealer and supplier on the planet. That is unsustainable because at some point people are using these instruments of wars and things are being blown up and this and that. And that's just, you know, it's just not sustainable.
6: But Noel, a lot of people basically use the, the, you know, being a maker of war, they say they use that as like well that creates jobs that's the excuse i mean i i think the biggest thing we just have to
7: to to become a staple of the left is just to always come back to you know who's our real enemy you know our real enemy are the billionaires are that top one percent they're taking everything they're wrecking everything they're literally killing us all And, you know, we I just think we need to be focused on that and the corruption and the money if we're going to have any real systemic fixes. And the only way any of this stuff gets better is if we have real systemic fixes.
6: And I'll say one last thing. I'll just mute myself. Uh, This one's for you, Sabrina. Uh, When you said that the goal wasn't just uh, Palestine, it was uh, Jordan and these other countries. I thought you were talking about the people, uh, the the Palestinian group you had on. I didn't know you were talking about Israel was planning to just spread, keep spreading like it was Hydra or something.
0: No, like that. That's what I was saying. The Palestinian network that came on onto RBN, they explained this already. They explained this over um, a year and a half ago that the goal was never just to stop with Palestine.
6: Uh This
0: is the greater Israel project.
6: Yeah, it sounds like a marvel.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, again, like, we got to think about what it means to colonize a place. If you colonize a place, you're not just trying to take a minimal amount of land. You're trying to take as much as you can as possible. So it makes sense that they wouldn't just stop with Palestine, that they would try to spread. Go ahead, uh, Maria. Just got to um, unmute yourself.
8: Yeah. Hey, everybody on the panel. I, I really appreciate all your contributions tonight. And thank you for being patient and waiting for me. Um, man, th- you've covered so much territory. I guess what I was really kind of curious and wanting some mutual input about is that we, we can look backwards at the calculus that led up to World War I and World War Two or any given war, uh, any given global international conflict, uh, whether the U.S. was involved or not. And we can look back and say, well, this was the tipping point. This was the Franz Ferdinand moment of, of the conflict. And um, I'm slightly hopeful that we might not get there because if anything was the Franz Ferdinand moment for me, it would be, you know, the, you know, Testing the land invasion of Gaza, well, and letting the, you know, the hospitals go dark, and targeting journalists. So, if that tipping point hasn't happened yet, maybe it's not. I, I, I don't know what to think about that. But, uh, throughout history, do you think censorship and propaganda is more dangerous today, or was it previously? Because previously it reached a smaller amount of people, or propaganda did anyway, but today we're constantly bombarded, but I think more people are calling bullshit and dismissing it. So on the propaganda front, it's kind of hard for me to balance between the two, and decide which one is the greater or lesser evil. And same thing with censorship. I we're we're getting barraged and hit so hard. And where do you think uh, propaganda and censorship are playing into the current calculus?
0: Those are good questions. Um, I'm sorry,
8: it- it wasn't an essay question. I didn't mean it that way. I just, I got too long-winded.
0: Oh, no worries. Um, Those are good questions. I think that, um, you know, censorship was horrible, you know, decades ago. But I feel like it's worse now just because we do have social media and people have adapted to that. Comparing that to where we were back in like the 60s or the 70s people didn't have information as quickly accessible to them like right at their fingertips as they do now. So I think now with the censorship, it's not just let's ban these books. Now it's let's ban these books and let's ban information on the internet. And I think this is where like, I think particularly a lot of the younger generations are going to become more frustrated because we're talking about people who just entered college like today, they don't know a world without an internet. Like people who were born after the internet existed, they do not know what the world, they didn't live during a time when the world did not have the internet. And a lot of them weren't alive during a time when there was no social media. So they don't know they would not know what to do. Like, for example, if Facebook, uh, Twitter, and all these social media sites, if the government ordered them to shut down, I think we would have real chaos in this country. I really think we do. We would, because they don't... It's different for people like me. I'm an older millennial, so I remember what it was like, like before social media, but not everyone does. And that's the thing, and even people who were like boomers or whatever or people who might be gen x if they're used to social media now i think a lot of people would lose their shit if the government were to say we're just going to shut down social media we're going to shut down youtube all these platforms etc you want to talk about a revolution honestly that might be all you need for it to happen It, it sounds silly but well, Honestly, yeah. thinking about like people, I can see people in the U.S. U- losing their shit if they shut everything down. I mean, your...
7: That uh, that, K- that Caitlin Johnstone Caitlin Johnstone talks about is that you know things are are like clearly devolving, you know, in you know here in the in the belly of the beast and, and and kind of the empire and the economic system and whatnot. It, it's clearly like coming apart, and so the what she talks about is how the response of the establishment. Is to rev up the propaganda even more, because you know the people at the top know there's there's so few of them and so many of us, and so controlling that that narrative is is crucial to 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 them keeping in place and keeping this wealth extraction going and whatnot. And so you know, I guess the the hope is that the narrative is coming apart, and in in people are cluing in and waking up and. Yeah, you know, I think there's evidence that, that, that that's happening where you see it with with these big Palestinian rallies, Palestinian rights rallies and and stuff happening. So, you know, to me, that's the hopeful part is that more and more people are cluing in.
3: And what I'll say is that we have to be mindful that censorship is a tool of the establishment to cut a path and make a way for propaganda. And so when we see censorship increasing, it is in response to the, um, uh, the administrative state realizing that they're losing control of the propaganda. So they use it in a targeted way to shut down certain voices that oppose the propagandistic narrative. And so, you know, I wouldn't say that either or is worse, but the um, increase in volume of censorship is an indication that the state believes it is losing control of the narrative by way of propaganda. And so they're kind of like a hand in glove thing. But I think to the degree that we are seeing escalation and escalation in censorship types of things and dynamics is an indication that we are like um, Eric just said, eroding because the state realizes that it is losing control of the narrative, but I don't think they would try and do a wholesale shutdown of the medium itself. They will try and use like we just saw with the Twitter files. They, are do, they do their things, but they were doing them behind the scenes and now they're being exposed and they're just having to do it in real time. They're having to take down people you know, one by one. But I don't think they would dare try and take down the entire medium because as Savvy says, people would have, you know, that shuts down their methodology for propaganda. It's not they want to shut the whole thing down. They just want their narratives to be the ones that are dominant and coming through. So it's, but like I say, the whole thing.
12: Well, so something I was going to just like say, kind of what you just were saying, Noel, I definitely get what you're saying, but I also do think that the government potentially has already tried, I think, in some avenues to kind of shut down certain things. Like, for instance, I mean, we've had instances where, you know, Facebook has completely been out for a while or Instagram or like some of these like, you know, social media sites have been out and no one can access them. Um, So I'm not going to sit here and say, do we know for a fact the government wasn't potentially involved in that? Like, I'm not going to say yay or nay on that. I think what I will say is that. I really do believe that sometimes we do have, I guess, um, I don't want to call them like false flags, but just kind of like scenarios that are potentially kind of being set up to see how are like maybe social experiments to kind of see how are the people gonna respond or react if this were to happen, kind of. And you know, maybe it's happening kind of in small dose to see how people are handling some of this. Um, but I I will say this, I would not put it past the government to do something like that. And not that they would do it in a way where they're going to announce, oh, we're gonna shut all this stuff down so if the people don't have access. No they will definitely, put, if they were to do that, they would do it in a way where they'll claim it's an outage of some sort or something's going on where like something's down. But I don't put it past our government to do something like that. I, I really don't. And, Especially if something is going on that they don't want us to know about or they want to distract us from,
3: so. But remember when they were talking about banning TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> and so there, and, and I do think they put those fielders out there to see where it would go. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they still need to be able to influence people. And so, you know, if you shut it all down, then your message is not going to come through either. Because, you know, even when we think about the Twitter files, there were certain voices and they were talking about, oh, you know, the Russians are trying to manipulate and influence the, the elections and this and that. But some of the biggest influence and manipulators of the election have been the two big parties. Mm-hmm. So they were just as involved in those machinations as anybody else. They just didn't want it coming from sources that were not approved by them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's a tricky kind of thing. They want to do it in such a way that you don't know that they're doing it. Yeah.
7: Oh, and always remember the biggest influencers are the billionaires and the mega corporations. Well, I just
8: another quick thought, if it's all right. I, I super appreciate the brilliance of you. You all really make me think, but what triggered me the most to get me thinking was what Sabi said about something that people have known their entire lives. Um, and I think if you're 23 years old in the United States, you've never lived in this country without some kind of a foreign war, uh, happening or going on. You've never, but I think that people in America are so sheltered that they don't experience it directly directly as opposed to somebody that grew up in a constant state of war where they were constantly direct, directly affected. So is the United States being becoming desensitized? If a 23 year old can be in a, in a country, living in a country constantly in a state of war since before they were born, and not be directly affected by it? Are we becoming desensitized to the places in the world where people know nothing other than war, where they're directly affected by it? And what do you do with that?
12: That's a great question, actually. Um, You know what I will say? Like, I don't... So... I know you're talking about like desensitized to like war in terms of like the actual direct impact of that. What I will say is this. Um, so yeah, we, besides 9-11, we have not had any actual direct, you know, like attacks on foreign soil besides 9-11, uh, at least in my lifetime. Um, what I will say, so I, I get what you're talking about that, you know, of course you can go on social media or you can, you know, turn on the news and you can kind of see these images kind of happening though. Right. And so, you know, we're still being exposed to it, but from a distance, right? So maybe it doesn't seem as if, oh, this is directly impacting us. But on the flip side, I'm going to say, as someone who, like, I've worked with veterans who have actually, like, you know, they went to war, right? Like, folks who are, like, in my age range or, you know, older, right? Like, who they served in various wars, and they are still, to this day, struggling and suffering with the um, impact of that, and their family members are, and the people in the communities are, right? So, in terms of like the desensitization, if you are maybe let's say directly engaging with um, people who they themselves have had to like you know fight in some of these conflicts or you know to on behalf of the military industrial complex, in some ways no maybe maybe you're just you're you are directly maybe in contact with people who have been affected. Um, therefore, if you also someone, maybe nine eleven or something like that, like no, you may have encountered folks who uh, maybe were directly impacted. So therefore. You know, there's these kind of, like, invisible, I think, scars of war that I think sometimes, like, maybe the everyday person isn't aware of. But, no, it definitely exists, right? Like, if we're talking about, like, okay, so the inability for folks to maybe be able to, okay, like, you're young, you just served in this war, but now you have all this psychological trauma because of that. Or, oh, maybe, you know, because you were blown up an IED, you have lost limbs, right? And so that, in order for that person, then, when they return back to our country, like, in order for them to function, like, in a way that again, they can't return back to who they were, but they in some ways still need to be able to be productive if that's, you know, what they're aiming for, then no, like w- it may be, hey, you know what? Um, there have to be other systems and things in place to assist that person. And, you know, if you're aware of some of those things, then it's, I almost kind of feel like, um, even though like directly you yourself may not have went to war, but you're seeing all of this, um, it can also be very jarring um, at the same time, right? It's kind of like, what, like what's, a, there's a term called vicarious trauma. Um, and it's the idea that you yourself, just because you didn't directly experience a traumatic event does not mean that you yourself cannot directly experience trauma, like based on what another person may have experienced. And I mean, that is a very real thing actually. Um,
3: so. And I think, but I think the bigger impact is we're becoming disconnected from the reality that what this nation does internationally has ramifications to how we live domestically. And I think we there's just a total disconnect that you can promote war and the um, instruments of war and not realize that at some point what you have put out comes back to you. There is that, you know, um, what is the word? The when you do something in the world and it comes back to you. Oh, like karma or? Karma. I think we've become disconnected from that. That at some point, what we have done in the world will bear fruit in our own lives in a very real way. And it just won't be seeing people on TV being blown up and this and that or knowing that people had drones dropped on them when they were trying to go to a wedding or something like that. When those types of things If they began to happen in this country, I don't think people will make the direct connection that this is a repercussion of what we have allowed this nation to do. And by the time it does, you know, occur, then maybe people will reel it in because there hasn't been a lot of coverage of it. But many of the people in Israel are hot with Bibi Netanyahu and his administration. Because they feel that what happened on October 7th, they see the connection between what Israel has been doing by way of Gaza being October 7th being a result of that. And I think that's the piece that we in America don't get because we have not had that repercussion yet.
6: Do you think he's trying to repeat what happened with George W. Bush when they told him about Al-Qaeda was coming and he just ignored it? And when it, when they did come, the FBI or the CIA, one of those groups, they busted into a hotel. They find these men. They don't arrest them. They basically look at the passports and then they gave, they gave them back and they did blow up the buildings. And George Bush was like, oh, we got to go invade these countries. Seems like Netanyahu, that's what he basically wanted. But now it's backfiring in his
0: face. It could be. It could be. I mean, like. Listen, like, I really do think that, um he wanted a war. Mm-hmm. I think he wanted this,
12: yeah Not, I, I, I agree.
9: I want to say that, um, I see why now, I know a lot of people is just coming to terms with it, but I see um now why the u s government don't do shit for the American people. It's because they want to keep us busy keep watching mainstream media um always like have like we struggling paying bills gas food going up they keep us busy and dizzy and confused because they don't want us to look over there and what i mean by over there that mean the wars they've been starting for decades and decades and now since we have twitter and that's why they so hot with people that got twitter youtube and want to change that now because it's like we a lot of us see it they still got a lot of people there's um it's older people that watch Fox News and the MSNBC CNN but people can see it now and I'm grateful for the difference I'm going to uh, oh,
0: go ahead Noelle and then I'm going to um end with this but go just ahead just wanted
3: to say to Notori That is absolutely a part of the design because if they keep you on edge, struggling to pay bills and you don't get any health care, you're always going to be preoccupied with the vicissitudes of life. And so any moment you can get to breathe, relax, watch a TV show, get a few laughs in, you ain't got time to really organize and petition the state and this and that. And uh, when you think about it, in our early nation's history, when we had those big movements for labor and things like that, there was far less entertainment and people had time to organize because they realized that that was the way to change their lives. But I think it is by no, you know, like I say, I call this a plantation nation because they keep the slaves busy and preoccupied. So.
6: Uh, Sabrina, did you see the uh, the journalist that lost his family on Twitter? It was it, it was it was all over the Twitter space. Uh, this journalist guy, he was basically doing the news, reporting on the war, and Israel bombed his family.
0: Al Jazeera.
6: Yeah, they yeah, bombed. I did see that? Yeah, oh. they, bombed, they bombed. his family, and then there was this other one. This was just my my last point. Uh, it seems like to me personally, you don't need these. Uh, corporate news from the United States, Western news going to basically have their like foothold in another country. You just make them just keep nationalized your own uh, uh, mainstream media. You don't need foreign ones. Cause CNN really got a mouthful from a bunch of people down there. You're you you did not see the fuck CNN <laughs> clip that was going on, on Twitter. No, I did. I did. Oh, that shit was funny. Like uh, a guy went up to CNN and he's like, fuck CNN. Fuck CNN genocide supporters you're not welcome here like the the woman was shocked he was like oh my god this guy, this man is cussing me out and CNN is just blocking that shit like it was funny it's like the people outside America they know CNN is just trash they know CNN is just talking shit about them, lying about them they just called them out
0: but yeah i did i did I did share that, but I I do want to go ahead and I do have to head out, but I do want to end with this because one of the things I did say tonight, there was a video that I wanted to play, but I couldn't play because I know YouTube would probably flag it. But there have been uh, Israeli content creators that are actually making videos on TikTok and on Instagram, making fun of Palestinian people, like not having electricity, having dirty water. They were making fun of the children being bombed. Uh, there were videos of Palestinian people like basically living in a doghouse or whatever. And it kind of reminded me of this speech here from MO, uh, Actually, not M.O.K. Sorry, Malcolm X. Because one thing I will say is that with everything the Palestinian people are going through, they still have, you know, their pride and they're still proud of who they are as a people, which I think is especially uh, important. It reminded me, it reminded me of this statement from Malcolm X and Malcolm X was delivering this message to black people. this is back during the sixties, but I want you to hear what Malcolm X said when he talks about who taught you to hate yourself.
3: Who taught you, please. Who taught you to hate the texture of your hair? Who taught you to hate the color of your skin? to such extent that you bleach to get like the white man? Who taught you to hate the shape of your nose and the shape of your lips? Who taught you to hate
9: yourself from the top of your head to the soles of your feet? Who taught
14: you to hate your own kind? Who taught you to hate the race that you belong to? So much so that you don't want to be around each other. You know, before you come asking Mr. Muhammad, does he teach hate? You should ask who yourself who taught you to hate being what
0: God gave you. So that's that's Malcolm X, and it's called "Who Taught You to Hate Yourself."
6: Yeah, when you brought up the uh, Israelis that were making fun of the Palestinians, there was—did um, you do the um, story about the Israeli guy that got arrested because he put like a pro-pro Palestine thing on his balcony? And the IDF just went in and just busted his door down because somebody complained. They they saw it.
0: I didn't do that one, but I've covered those stories for the past two years. Because the thing is that's been that's been an issue before October seventh. So that's what I want people to understand. Even Israeli Jews that support the Palestinian people, those people are also attacked by the IDF. So that's what people have to understand. And it's, it's very, um, it's very sad. The same thing though, what it tells you is anyone who comes out and supported them, those people also be attacked, not just in Israel, but also in the rest of the world. That's why they're targeting the students. That's why they're attacking people who come out as you know pro-Palestinian and calling out the occupation and the apartheid. That's why. This isn't the first time this subject has been brought up. It's been brought up multiple times. But now that they have declared this a war, now it's like, it's basically the same as if you would have came out in support of the other side in reference to 9-11. And 9-11 didn't start on September 11th. 9-11 started way before that. Going all the way back to the U.S. relationship with bin Laden, which at one point was a good, positive relationship.
6: Did you ever know what soured the relationship? I mean, I heard rumors like his son died in gunfire by the United States and they lied about it to him and he got pissed from there.
0: U.S. war crimes. U.S. war crimes. U.S. targeting children. They were killing. They were bombing children. If you ever get the opportunity, watch the show called The Looming Tower. That one's actually really good. I actually fact-checked that one um, after each episode. So The Looming Tower, if you watch it, it doesn't just start with, it's about 9-11, but it goes further back, and it shows you how that actually started and why the attack happened.
6: Is it on YouTube?
0: It was on Hulu. Okay. All right, but I do have to head out. So um, thank you guys so much for hanging out. Um, But Shama Sawant will be with me Friday night. So see you then. Okay. Later. Good morning. (laughs) Good
12: night.
4: Thanks.